All right, good morning, class. Welcome to uh, Art Eater podcast number 13, lucky number 13. So uh, today we're on part three of our uh, detailed look at the Guilty Gear series. Um, so if uh, you're coming in on this one, uh, just know that there's been two other podcasts. Uh, we did one on the very first Guilty Gear that came out for PS1, and we followed that up with another talk about Guilty Gear X, you know, which came out in arcades and then Dreamcast, and uh, you know, eventually ported to PS2. Today, we're going to focus on Guilty Gear X2, um, or I think some people call it XX. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The Japanese name, I think, is XX, and then in the U.S., they just decided to call it X2. Okay. Okay. Definitely XX on the logo. So. Yeah, yeah. Which is the important authority. All right. Well, um, before we get into that, I'd just like to introduce our, our speakers. So I'm, I'm your host, Richmond. Um, yeah, founder of Art Eater several years ago. Uh, I've been working in games for a long time, uh, background in art. Um, and then uh, Sean is uh, my, my old, well, really, we went, Sean and, and James, we all went to uh, art school together. So we go way back. Um, so why don't you, how about everyone say something about themselves? Uh, uh, Sean, you can go. Uh, oh, hello, I'm Sean. Um, I have... Uh, as Richmond said, we, we go way back uh, to art school, but then we, out of art school, worked on games together, uh, started a studio. Um, I've spent most of my career in interactive design, uh, UI development, but it's been in the game industry. I uh, did some startups for a while, um, and I'm currently working at Blizzard Entertainment uh, doing, actually not UI, doing tech integrations, and uh, did a lot of mobile stuff there as well. So um, generally speaking, uh, very very focused on user experience UI, um, but heavily, you know, slanted toward the games industry. All right. And uh, James, uh, really happy to have you on as a, uh, one of our special guests. Ah, <laughs> uh, man, it's, it's, it's a pleasure. I know I've said that before, but uh, I do I really appreciate being a, a part of this. Um, I mean, I've known Richmond for quite some time. We, we both uh, went to SCAD and uh, we bonded over uh, Street Fighter and then, you know, progressively over time through art and, you know, different uh, passions that we had. Um, you know, I actually am a uh, independent uh, comic artist, creator. You know, I self-publish. Uh, I've worked a little bit in animation, uh, mostly pre-production, uh, storyboard work, and uh, freelance illustration. But uh, I have a comic uh, project, basically, that's called Part-Time Shuffle. Uh, right now, the... Uh, biggest way to experience it is through my comic. Um, I do have other things that are under wraps in regards to that project. I've leaked a little bit of that stuff myself on, on uh, social media, but, you know, predominantly it's uh, a comic book that basically encompasses all the things that I love, which is uh, fighting games, anime, art, good music, vaporwave. Uh, and it's all kind of just this uh, narrative casserole of things that I love and appreciate, like a love letter to it. So, uh, but yeah, that's that's me, and uh, I love Third Strike a lot. Uh, not really sure what else I can say. I mean, that pretty much sums up <laughs> who I am. So <laughs> yeah, and uh, just remember, folks, you can follow James on Twitter at Beefy Kunoichi, um, and look out for his uh, his comic project, uh, Part Time Shovel. Um, and then I, I'd like to introduce. We have another special guest today, uh, Thomas. Um, very. Very special guest. Thomas is the reason ArtEater.com uh, is, is back online. Um, 
when he found out that we were having technical issues, uh, he actually volunteered to to help us out. He um, not only did he get the website back online, he figured out uh, how to get it hosted again, totally redesigned it from the ground up, made a new backend, made it way easier to um, create new articles and update. And uh, yeah, man, I'm just really in debt to Thomas, who did all of that out of the goodness of his heart, just because he liked reading our articles. So, uh, Thomas, please, please, um, you know, uh, introduce yourself to our listeners. Hello, guys. Uh, I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm a, I'm a web developer from uh, France. So, bonjour, baguette. And, uh, <laughs> and um, I've been a web developer for five years now. And uh, before that, I was a comic book seller. So, maybe you know that France has a very, very big... Uh, uh, bande dessinée, like we said, comics uh, scene. So I was selling them in an independent shop before. And I'm, um, I have a degree in art, which is surprising since now I'm a developer. And I've been a, a fighting game player for more than 20 years now. Uh, and I've been in almost all places fighting games related <laughs> because I've been a tournament organizer, a writer, a podcaster, a competitor, um, and uh, my main game for a long time was the Guilty Gear XX series. So, of course, I'm here now. So, uh, that's me. I have a, a website, so mostly in French. We have a, an English part, but it's not very, uh, there's not a lot of articles on it. Um, it's called uh, Bagropoint, which means uh, Down Heavy Punch. It's a, uh, it's a joke name. And uh, and we do all sort of... We've been doing podcasts and articles on it for the last 10 years. We we, we celebrated our 10 years uh, last December, so that was quite something. And uh, I'm kind of... Uh, I'm also working about fighting games as a writer for all sort of publications. Uh, the last big one being uh, Red Bull Esports. Uh, as I write for them for most of their Street Fighter V events, like the, the Red Bull Kumite who happened in Japan uh, in last October, I think it seems it's it looks like it was years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so that's me. I'm very, very, very into fighting games. I play really all types of fighting games, 3D, 2D, independent, EV, uh, AAA games. So thanks for having me. Yeah, really excited to have you here. All right, let's um, let's dig into uh, Guilty Gear um, now. Uh, before we get uh, into the gameplay, I think we'll probably get deep, much deeper into the gameplay this time. Um, I would like to start talking about the lore a little bit. Uh, we touched on this lightly, uh, really, before we were talking more about first impressions, um, stuff that you could uh, derive from just playing the game. You know, stuff that's immediately apparent when you when you start playing and stuff you can observe. Uh, right now, I'd like to get a little more into like uh, stuff that you need to look up on Wikipedia, <laughs> and uh, yeah, the stuff that isn't immediately apparent in the game. And specifically, uh, we touched on this very lightly, but I, I did a little more research um, between you know the last podcast and now. Uh, last time, Sean, you mentioned um, the similarities between uh, the the manga uh, Bastard by Kazushi Hagiwara and Guilty Gear. And uh, ba Bastard's like one of my favorite comics. It's 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 a classic. Uh, it started in Shonen Jump a long time ago. I mean, it was it was around in the era of uh, the original run of Dragon Ball and like Fist of the North Star and Slam Dunk. Um, 
it's a classic. It's it's not very well known in America, um, but I know uh, it, it was published in France. I actually own a French edition of it. Uh, I, I I always pick it up wherever I go. If I see like someone's publishing it, I'll be like, oh, I gotta get that. <laughs> uh, it was it was quite popular in Thailand too, um, and. Um, so in America, it's mostly known as a, an anime. There was an OVA, but um, <clears throat> in Japan, it, it, it's a bestseller. Um, it's, it's actually one of the best-selling comics ever. So it, it was definitely well-known and huge, a huge influence on Guilty Gear. So uh, Bastard on the Surface is a fantasy series, um, but it's actually called uh, Heavy Metal Fantasy Bastard. And um, so it... On the surface, it's like a Dungeons and Dragons setting, but then it's got um, this heavy metal theme underlying it. A lot of the characters are named after bands or uh, heavy metal performers, uh, much much like Guilty Gear. Um, and then um, I'll get into this a little bit. A lot of the lore, and I think some of the characters were directly based on uh, Bastard. So um, uh, within Bastard, it starts off as a fantasy setting. Uh, but then uh, I hope you guys don't mind spoilers for this, you know, like 30 year old comic. Um, <laughs> so it, it follows the exploits of Dark Schneider. He's like this uh, this wizard. He's hundreds of years old um, and he's like uh, he's just this crazy. Uh, I don't even know how to describe him. <laughs> he's, he's a uh, uh, he's. I think uh, following the D&D alignment charts, he's actually canonically evil. He's a cha chaotic evil character. <laughs> and that, that guy's the main character. And he's just sort of this powerful wizard. He does whatever he wants. He's like a great womanizer. Uh, he's very arrogant, um, very full of himself. Uh, but, but, you know, he's uh, the charming hero. Um, and then as the series goes on, you follow the exploits of this character. Um, and you find out that uh, this fantasy setting that they're in... Um, is actually Earth, and you find out there was a great cataclysm a long time ago. Um, and this, again, is a very, I, I believe this is pretty similar to Guilty Gear. So Guilty Gear also used to take place in the real world. And then, um, you know, there was a big cataclysm. People discovered magic, or this near-infinite energy source that they dubbed magic. Um, and then in, in Bastard, uh, there, were, there were these uh, wise men, a group of scientists who basically discovered magic, and they... Um, a big cataclysm happened after uh, they engineered, uh, you know, a really powerful uh, demon god, which is pretty much like a gear in Guilty Gear. Yeah. Um, right. And then um, it turns out, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. So uh, they ended up creating this new world. Uh, so it used to be a regular mundane world. And then now there's a new fantasy world. Uh, the demon gods are like gears. And um, even the main character, it turns out, is someone that was engineered uh, in that old world. So um, the main character of Bastard is uh, Dark Schneider, DS. Main character of Guilty Gear is uh, Soul Bad Guy. And his, his real name, I just found this out, is uh, Freddy, Frederick Fred Balsara, right? Frederick. Uh, so I, I didn't know that. He was a Freddie Mercury reference this yeah, whole time. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, the solo album of uh, Freddie Mercury is Mr. Bad Guy. His name, Mr. Bad Guy. So oh. that's uh oh, and uh, you have a he has a song where he goes like I'm Mr. Bad Guy. So there's a there's a clear relationship between the two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, uh, Freddie Mercury's birth name was uh, Farouk Balsara. You know, so same mm. same last name. Yeah. So again, so you have your protagonist who it turns out um, he's actually much older than he looks, 
he just looks like a young man, but it turns out he's hundreds of years old and he was engineered to be the first like powerful magical being, you know, and he survived from that era into this era. So you have that. And then um, you also have uh, Kai. So Kai uh, from Guilty Gear, he looks a lot like the character Lars uh, from Bastard. And um, so in Guilty Gear, uh, Kai is uh, the leader of the Holy Knights, right? And they um, defeated the the Gears during the Gear Crusade. They fought back against these uh, magical beings. And, uh, you know, Kai is a very uh, straight edge, good dude. Um, you know, he's uh, he believes in order and justice. And uh, his parallel from the comic uh, Bastard is a character named Lars. Lars was the uh, the Dragon Knight, and uh, within in Bastard, Lars is the character that um, Dark Schneider, the main character. Remember, he's actually evil. <laughs> he almost took over the world, and then he was defeated by the legendary uh, Dragon Knight, um, Lars, who who pretty much he looks very much like Kai. He has like these uh, very similar outfit. Um, he wields a sword. Uh, Lars has black hair, whereas, you know, Kai is blonde. And then they, they flipped it with Sol. You know, DS has, like, uh, white hair, pretty much. And then, you know, Sol has black. So they kind of flipped that dynamic. But uh, Lars, if you look it up, Lars, bastard, a very, very similar look. And he's, you know, the main character's rival. Um, and then just one one more pretty direct reference. Um, in Bastard, there was an evil demon god named, uh, they call it Anthrax, Anthrasax? It's Anthrax. They're named after the band Anthrax. And uh, this was, again, an engineered being, the equivalent of a gear. So this is a really powerful being that uh, can can use magic. And it was engineered to lead all the other uh, demon gods, which were, you know, they were supposed to um, end this this great war that was going on. But this... Demon God went rogue, just like uh, Justice, you know, the, uh, the the leader of the Gears. <clears throat> and then, um, you know, the heroes had to come together and defeat, uh, you know, this being. And, um, yeah, just very, very strong parallels there. Um, there's probably even more. I, I don't actually, I'm not super uh, read up on uh, the Guilty Gear lore, but uh, that, that's as much as I've pieced together. I don't know. Any any additional thoughts from you guys? Um, Actually, I know I was talking about Iron Maiden uh in one of the previous podcasts because uh that was one of the first bands that i knew of that you know had that whole i guess stigma of like being bad or like evil but i thought it was really cool well i actually found out that soul and kai are references to iron maiden based on the uh, inscriptions on their belts uh oh. mm. yeah so yeah. soul's belt reads free and kai's has the word hope uh, but it's but it reminded me of uh, an Iron Maiden lyric from uh, Revelations, I think. It's uh, bind all of us together ablaze with hope and free. And I was just like, wait a minute. I, <laughs> and it kind of like clicked. And I was like, wow, like that's like there's so many other references that I didn't really think about. Um, I mean, Axel Lowe is a pretty low yeah. hanging fruit. I mean, that's yeah. Rose, but, yeah, yeah. yeah, you know, like the whole belt thing, like it didn't dawn on me until like, you know, we started talking about it. And I said, wait a minute. That is an yeah. Iron Maiden reference, you know. So, I mean, it's, it's the lore of Guilty Gear is an incredibly interesting thing. And, I mean, some of these things I, I kind of knew about through osmosis as a kid. I mean, I'm dating myself here, but, you know, it's, it's interesting when you actually see these things come together. Um, and you see them come together in a way that it brings something fresh to the reference. Uh, yeah. And that, that really 
helps me appreciate the lore even more. It just makes it that more visceral for me. So, yeah, I just wanted to to add that in because I've been thinking about it. And I was like, man, yeah, that is something that I, I didn't bring up. But, you know, like my brain subconsciously brought up Iron Maiden. So I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's good. It's a deep cut. Yeah. Oh, uh, just real quick, one more thing on what, what I was talking about before. Um, the, the demon god in Bastard, uh, Anthrax, is a, a, a female. It's a female character. Usually yeah. <laughs> in these settings, uh, you, the demon god is very masculine, you know, deep voice and stuff. But um, ju- just like in Guilty Gear, uh, it was uh, uh, justice is very unusual for a female uh, character in anything. Uh, she's, she's this big, hulking uh, beast. It's a um, similarity there. Yeah. Um, uh, she's kind of a mix of a beast and a a mecha that could be that looks a bit like uh, the uh, eva zero one from from evangelion and uh, but it's more rock and roll since she has you know this huge hair and uh, some people also maybe you remember uh, zone of the enders the the game by hideo kojima and uh, you know like um like those, uh, the Jehuti, the main robot, the cockpit is between the mm-hmm. legs, and Justice also has an, an appendix. So uh, oh, yeah. she looks, she looks a bit male, to be honest. Like she, she doesn't <laughs> have a, a gender, you know, very. Uh, she, she's not. It's she's between gender, a bit. Yeah. But uh, that's a trend that we'll see in all Guilty Gear. Is that all bosses in Guilty Gear are female characters. Mm. All of them. You have uh, Justice in the first one, Dizzy in X, I know in yeah. XX, and uh, what's the name of the girl with the, the living coat um, in XL? So, yes, Ram Little after that yeah. in, uh, in XL. So that's a tradition in the series too. Ah, okay. Okay. Yeah, let's, uh, let's dig into uh, XX then. Let's um, maybe... Uh, just you know, quick introduction. We we talked about X last time. That was the first um, HD. Well, at, at the time it was considered HD uh, installment <laughs> of Guilty Gear, and it was the most high resolution um, 2D fighter, uh, mainstream fighter at the time. I, I'm I'm sure some PC uh, Dojin game or something predates it, but for for a known fighting game that's still played mm-hmm. widely today, uh, that it it kicked off that trend. Um, and then XX was the follow-up, and I think this is where the gameplay really starts to mature, and people really like start playing this game uh, very, very seriously um, to the degree that continues to to this day. Um, can uh, let can you guys talk about your introduction to XX? Um, so there was um, there was a pretty heavy Guilty Gear scene. Uh, where I where I used to live in Maryland, and I saw so many people congregate toward this game around the time that Marvel Two was still, you know, relatively popular. People were still playing it competitively. There was a huge amount of people that just went straight toward this game, and I and I kind of wondered about it. I was like, wait a minute, like why are there so many people specifically going toward Guilty Gear, and once I saw competitive matches and you know, there's a lot going on and it was a lot to take in at first, but uh, Guilty Gear XX or X2 was where uh, faultless defense became part of the, you know, Roman canceling uh, dead angle attacks. Like there were these new elements that brought uh, just a new meta to the game competitively. 
And I saw a lot of people getting really interested in it. I mean, there was a scene exploding in Texas. I mean, there was a scene exploding in California. And a lot of people were getting into it. And, you know, I jumped in a little bit myself, but, you know, it took a while for me to sort of understand mm. exactly how to play Guilty Gear. It was so different from the other games I was playing competitively at the time. And it it was both intimidating, but it was also inviting in a way where you're like, wait, like, I really want to learn this game now because there's so much else going on in terms of being able to cancel attacks, not just for combos, but for, like, offense pressure, for yeah, defense, like, no matter... Yeah, like, no matter... That's who, a big difference, yeah. Yeah, a huge difference. So my introduction to it was that it's like, you want more Guilty Gear, you got it. And yeah. it, it made you want to really sit home and, and analyze it and study it. So, yeah, it was a, it was an interesting time. It's uh, what's interesting about this game is that, you know, a lot of the elements that we f you 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 will find if you replay X2 now, are from Guilty Gear X, but uh, they are less busted and more refined than in Guilty Gear X. For example, faultless defense existed in uh, Guilty Gear X, but it was used to uh, yeah. and uh, it was used to uh, to break the game. Like you could cancel the recovery frames of some moves with the footless defense so there was like some busted things with jam like where she would cancel a normal and re redo it again and you also add uh, the dust in uh, guilty gear x but uh, it was on two buttons and in guilty gear x2 they introduced a fifth button because uh, until the x it was four, a four button game so mm -hmm. they they really streamlined a lot of things, a lot of rules that became the Guilty Gear rules, the the the, the real the real Guilty Gear yeah. uh, rules. Uh, a lot of things are still there, but for example, when you when you hit someone, when you put someone on the ground at the end of a combo in X, you could hit them and they would not recover instantly. It will just you know. Uh, they would uh, rise up again, but with the normal speed. So each time you would make someone, you put, uh, put someone on the ground, you will hit this person one time, two time, and they would then rise up again. So for example, in XX, if you do this, they instantly rise up. So you lose your momentum as an as an uh, as the attacker, for example. So it's a lot of uh, very nuanced details in xx that makes it uh, a really better game to be honest that's there's a lot of this inside and after that there's the obvious things there's the burst the burst sorry uh the the fifth button like i said the false roman cancel so an extension of the roman cancels that appeared that were uh, that were already here in the series and uh so there's a lot of, and also a lot of things that the characters could do. They they could, they were not able to do it again. For example, uh, maybe you remember the mist that Johnny can make. Oh, with it's trap. Yeah. Yeah. In in Guilty Gear X, there was setups where you would uh, do a combo, and uh, and you would put the mist, and the mist will arrive on the uh, on the opponent, and uh, oh, it makes one of the moves invincible. So you cannot block it, and there were loops or things like that that you uh, you couldn't do with the character. So all these kind of things are removed for a more streamlined experience and a better game. Mm. So yeah, Sean, there was. You... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, there was a lot of potential for players to literally manipulate the math of the game to a point <laughs> that 
it was it was a beautiful thing to see, but there was a point where you could literally just carve out your own sort of play within these rules that if you were one of the uninitiated, it caused a lot of confusion for you, especially when you're like, well, this is this many frames on block. I should be able to punish this. And now I can't. Now I don't know what to do. So it, it, it brought in a lot of interesting elements to how somebody approached a fighting game. And it was it, it was a very interesting time for fighting games because it was kind of like the first time that people really dealt with this on a much larger scale than what they're normally used to. So you had a lot of people kind of scratching their heads going home and then going back into the lab and figuring out, like, wait, I really can carve out my own path in Guilty Gear. Uh, I've never had this feeling before. So then you got that sense of empowerment. But it definitely made for some busted stuff. But busted stuff can be kind of fun. But that's, yeah, I agree. And one thing that uh, I think the the false Roman cancels, maybe we can explain what they are now, is that in the previous Guilty Gear, if you hit an opponent and press three button uh, in exchange of 50% of your tension, of your tension bar, you can you you return to neutral, and then you can uh, continue pressure or combos. And so they noted that since you have to touch your opponent to do this uh, this action, it doesn't work if you do a, if you whiff the move. They decided that you should be able to do it while whiffing moves, but it will be very way, way too powerful if you could do it anytime. So they added uh, mostly on special moves uh, a timing where if you press the three buttons inside the timing inside the uh, instead of 50% of your tension bar, it takes 25% and you are free to move. So that's basically for Soul Bad Guy, for example, you do the gun flame, so he, he, he throws a, a kind of fireball, I would say. Uh, you can cancel the fireball and then run behind your fireball. The, the same way that uh, in Street Fighter 2, Guile do a, a sonic boom and he can walk mm-hmm. after it, you know? So yeah. suddenly, you know, the only games that allowed you to do this before were uh, games like Marvel vs. Capcom, where you will call an assist, so another character, that will cover you so you can attack or defend or things like that. And suddenly, you can do the same with a single character in exchange of 25%. So that's where the, you know, the, the formula for Guilty Gear uh, takes shape. And uh, it allows you to play a kind of Darkstalkers Marvel game but with a single character. And that's what makes Guilty Gear amazing and uh, a game with a lot of pressure too, because suddenly you can cancel all your projectiles, you can cancel your dragon punches, you can cancel some normal moves sometimes. So it's really, really deep and you can do so much things. You can express yourself so much. It's amazing. I remember the first time I realized I could cancel Gunflame into Run and I felt like it changed my life as a <laughs> wildly aggressive player. And it, it, it was like I looked at my hands. It was like a literal anime moment, moment for me where I looked at my hands and I was like, <laughs> I can do anything. And it, it, it's like I went home and it's like I literally went into training mode and I lost my mind because the freedom of being able to say, okay, I'm in a position where, yeah, I'm doing spacing and zoning, but then I can literally change it within an instant. It excited me so much because, I mean, 
the most that I could possibly do before that in like CBS two with Ryu and Engru was like throw a fireball and then run behind it after the recovery. But mm. with Soul, I could cancel that recovery out entirely. So, you know, me and my fireball were like buddies. We were jogging buddies at that point. So <laughs> like I'm I'm running at my opponent and it's just like, oh man, this is super cool. So that feeling was something that a lot of people felt, not just with Soul, but with any character. So when you think about the potential variables competitively in terms of what that causes, it's 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 an amazing experience. And it, it led to some some dirty tournament matches. <laughs> yes. A so lot much. of just, oof, just disgustingly awesome things that people would do. So, you know, if you ever have time and you want to look back on that stuff, you know, I recommend looking at, um, I think, Absolution, I think was a French uh, tournament venue. There was Texas Showdown and uh, Evo. I mean, there's obviously, like, Super Battle Opera. Like, there's a lot of really good tournament matches that showed off these things in, like, its highest form. So, you know, if you ever have time and you're on YouTube and you really want to see some grody stuff in Guilty Gear, <laughs> mm -hmm. this is the game to, to look for it in for sure. Okay. And let's um, let's talk a little bit about the, the context for this game. So it was uh, released in 2002, right? Yeah. Um, so by then, uh, uh, Street Fighter 2 came out in 91? Or was it 92? What? 91. 91. 91, yeah. So fighting games have been around for a little over a decade now, and man, they got really sophisticated in that time. Um, the 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 jump from Street Fighter 2 to to Guilty Gear is uh, it's a orders of magnitude difference in in complexity, I think, or just oh. in terms of like variables, like what is possible at any moment, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's the the thing to the context is quite special because. 2001-2002, it's the start of what the fighting game community uh, calls the dark age of fighting games, uh, <laughs> meaning, but yeah. what, what they really mean by that is, oh, it's the period where Capcom was not doing fighting games. But since Capcom was so important, because they, are, they had Street Fighter, they had Darkstalkers, they had the, the, the Marvel vs. Capcom series. So a lot of people, they played these games because they loved the Capcom fighting games. And aren't mm. there were no more Capcom fighting games? Uh, I think the last one they did before coming back with Street Fighter 4 was a Capcom fighting jam, and it was a mess. <laughs> and so <laughs> yeah, well, at, yeah, at this time... We just played it because it had Warzone characters in it. Yeah, of, of course. But what you have to understand at this time is that the last Street Fighter uh number of the street fighter was in 99 it was first strike and first strike was not popular at all at that time and after that there were uh, uh cvs2 and uh, marvel vs capcom 2 and so cvs2 and marvel 2 were played and street fighter 3 first strike was not played until 2004 2005 where it grew on people and so there was a lot of, oh yeah and snk was in bankruptcy yeah. in 2000, 2001. So they had yeah. to, uh, the, the president of SNK had to create a new company to buy the assets of the, of the old one. Well, it was a mess. And so it was, yeah, there was still a lot of fighting games, but the thing you really have to understand if you, if you never played fighting games at that period is that 3D won. Fight 3D fighting games were now yeah. the norm, and it already in um, in uh, I think it's in 
1905, people were like, well, Street Fighter 3 has to be 3D, you know, and the first episode of Street Fighter 3 will come two years later and it will be 2D again. So people were not thinking when Guilty Gear X came out that it was possible to make, to make HD uh, 2D games. So everyone was shifting to 3D and the appeal of 3D games outside of Guilty Gear was almost non-existent because SNK was still on uh, Neo Geo and uh, Capcom literally stopped making fighting games. So that helped Arc System Works becoming and Guilty Gear becoming the king of the 2000, from 2002 to 2007, 2008, you will go to, to, to any arcade, uh, arcade room in Japan, you will find a Guilty Gear uh, arcade cabinet. So that was very, very, very popular series at the time. And what is, what is almost incredible also is that it came in Europe, like officially. I didn't have to import the game. So that says a lot. And also we uh, the, the series were ported to PlayStation 2 instead of Dreamcast, because to play Gear X, you had to play first on uh, Dreamcast. And after, I think there was a port uh, on PS2. But it also helps that uh, it came on a more popular console. So a lot of things made the Guilty Gear series stay uh, a niche series, but a very popular niche series. Yeah, thank you for that that summary. <laughs> yeah, uh, I just want to reiterate, like two, the early two thousands, like two uh, D was really on a downturn. Uh, PS two was, you know, very much a three D system, and um, yeah, three D fighting games were the norm. So, so by then, uh, Arc System Works was pretty much the the only game in town for for new viable two uh, D fighters. Yeah. yeah, it was very hard. The only series in 2D that came out at this time that had a, a growing popularity, but it was also niche, was maybe Melty Blood, and uh, that's all. Oh, yeah. There was there was also other series like King of Fighter continued with the 2003 and the 11 entries, uh, which mm -hmm. are very good, and uh, and other games came out like the the Samurai Shodown uh, series continued too. There were things like Rage of the Dragons, but you know, there was nothing that was as beautiful as Guilty Gear. <laughs> so when XX came out, it had, it had new characters, new stages, a new, a new soundtrack. So the same teams, but reorchestrated, uh, a refined gameplay, just like we explained. So it, of course, it was going to be the king of fighting games at this period, you know, so... Yeah. I wanted to build on something that uh, Thomas is saying is that uh, something else that's pretty interesting about this game is uh, you mentioned that it kind of was is very similar to Guilty Gear X in a lot of ways, but there was a lot of polish around it. And I wanted to call people's attention to the fact that um, this is about when Arc System Works is really hitting their stride. Like this is one of the like X2 had actually a pretty and I'm going to mention UI. I'm sorry. Uh, there is a pretty serious jump in the quality of yeah the entire game. Like, uh, this is where Guilty Gear's very famous, like, circular um, character select was introduced. This is where they started using a lot more, uh, it wasn't 3D, but a lot more, like, dimensional, like, metal. And they even did stuff in X2, like, having a, a mini portrait, uh, not a mini portrait, I'm sorry, a mini version of the character in the upper corner so that you could follow the action separately. Um, so, like, the this is one of those things where there's something, like, you, you can kind of break it down, but... X2 feels polished for a reason. It's 
it's like it's not just that they were the only game in town for all you know in terms of how mm. beautiful it looked everything about the game was becoming more cohesive like if you ever if you kind of like side by side it like even things like the quality of their lines the the quality of the the graphics the way that slash is prepared on the screen yes. they started adding movement into the text like they were really getting confident and comfortable with their systems at this point yeah and uh even in uh, animation there's we i think we'll talk about the new characters later but if you look at the new characters in this game they are incredibly well animated and nobody made a character like zappa for example uh, oh, yeah. since it came out like nobody animated something like that uh, maybe the, the only team i think that approached it uh, is maybe the team that made uh, Skullgirls, which are and they are ev fans of guilty gear too so that's, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's logical but uh, yeah it was you you know we i was saying that all other games were lacking something and uh, but that doesn't mean that guilty gear uh, rose because they were lacking it it became famous because it was polished very very polished yeah i, I think you you could say this was the first really polished one um, like the first one was just amazingly inspired uh, x was again like a totally new game from the ground up uh, really uh, beautiful and exciting uh, XX is the first time that they got to just expand on the previous game. It wasn't totally remade from the ground up, right? So it's about refining now, not just like revolution, but refining what's already there and, and, and innovating in, in weird ways. Speaking about the animation, this is, uh, and I, I mentioned it way back in the first podcast, like one of my favorite characters to see on screen uh, was added in this game, Slayer. And he's he's one of the ones where he's not as crazy as like Zappa or, or um, mm. Zato 1 or anything, but he's also one where you can see they're starting to have more fun with the way that the character animates. Like he has a lot of stretches and pulls in the way that he moves. Um, th there's almost like an arrogance to it. And they, um, I, th I think it's that, that kind of thing where you can start seeing um, back to the interface as well you can start seeing they're starting they're using more slanted lines less up and down lines like they're getting more confident with fitting pieces together um and they're they're starting to play with more like transparency on different layers of things so it's just yeah, to your point the building on top of something that you've already done uh sometimes you get something that's way better like the whole you know version version five is always better than version two type of thing uh, there's just a lot more polish that kind of keeps popping out with this game Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh yeah, it's funny you mentioned that about the UI. Like everything is at this uh, 45 degree angle slant rather than the traditional, you know, 90 degree uh, boxes that you see in most stuff. Uh, I was just gonna say I, it may have something to do with the technology at the time, but I don't think it does. I was I was noticing this that uh, even in the last two games we were talking about, there was kind of always like you could visibly see some of the line weight and the pixels because they only had and again CRT and scan lines helped kind of. Uh, mask that, but this is one of the first ones where you're starting to see the way that they use the the lines and the interface, the way that the characters look, even though they're very similar stages and characters to X. Um, it's starting. This is where it's starting to get to the point where we talk about HD, where it doesn't. It feels smooth, and they're not. They're not. Do, they're not pulling tricks to make it feel smooth. It's actually higher resolution. It can do transparency better. Um, so everything feels just a little bit more crisp. Um, the like I said, the the interface doesn't have like visible pixels on the metal, uh, but they used a lot more metal in the interface. There's a lot more like visible bolts, like you said, 45 degree angles. 
um, like dot patterns to kind of uh, show them out. Like I mentioned, like the reason, like if you watch the, the menu is also one of the first ones that has a full animation in the background. So like um, I, I way back mentioned uh, when I was working on things like Greg Hastings, where what you would do is like project 2D textures onto 3D objects. Uh, so they're starting to get to the point now where they can have a menu that is actively animating, like having rotating metal pieces in the interface. The fact that every time you move the text, it's able to spin the interface around and like things and like even um, when they do the heaven or hell where they have uh, the stage one actually animates across the entire screen. Uh, the word slash can actually pull the the the, um, the characters apart. Uh, which is something that I think still survives to this day in the Guilty games. Like it feels, it makes it feel even more dynamic than it did before. Like the satisfaction of seeing Slash when you win, but now seeing it where the the text actually like spreads and moves, it feels more dynamic. So I think it's just um, all those things come together to make it feel just a little, little bit, you know, a little bit more cohesive. Can't see my hand, but like a little bit of like that, just a really nice feel. And you can't always put your finger on it, but I think it it probably translated um, into the new move sets as well in terms of uh, they probably got better at executing the same mechanics that they came up with as well. The One of the things also you can notice from X to uh, XX, like you said, there's this metal like, uh, you know, steel, things like that. But it's also more metal like uh, cult in a cultural way, you know. Uh, the um, the the sound of the heaven or hell let's rock for example in X was a, a strange distorted voice and suddenly in this one it's a very loud like a rocker uh, band uh, singer that say heaven or hell let's rock and uh, I remember there were complaints on one of the versions when where they changes they changed the the name and the guy was less loud and i remember friends complaining like wow it's not guilty it's not rock enough <laughs> compared <laughs> to the old episodes you know <laughs> so yeah. that, uh, that there are some details because in the last entry of xx they re-recorded all the voices and uh, so they re-recorded the the uh, heaven or hell let's rock and the guy is more like heaven or hell let's rock <laughs> than uh, <laughs> than the big voice and i remember it was shocking like oh It's not metal anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like 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 when they changed Guile's voice for that one Street Fighter where he no longer had a thick Japanese accent, and they're like, "The hell, that's not Guile anymore." <laughs> not American enough. That is true. Yeah, yeah, like there's a lot of people that uh that definitely have there was some divisiveness about that because I mean, some people said that Guile sounded you know he sounded stronger in Street Fighter 2. And then when Super Turbo or Super came along, people were like, why does he sound like Big Bird? You know, like people were like, Sonic wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, it was like, wait a minute, that doesn't sound like him. And then, you know, you had that point where I think EX came out and, you know, he was definitely a big, strong Japanese guy in terms of his voice actor. <laughs> and people kind of were like, oh, that's not Guile. But ironically enough, in CVS 2, there was, you know, he sounded like a Japanese guy, but people were, were they were okay with Sonic Kapur. Is it's you know it's Sonic Boom? Like people are okay with that. So sometimes the way people receive things can can really change. So I mean, I think me and Richmond were talking about this in context of like even Barrett and Final Fantasy VII, where there's this interesting thing that happens with Japanese games where they create uh, someone that's based off of kind of an American archetype, but they use a lot of Japanese um, traits and aspects and sounds, and people get to this thing where they imagine for some reason that that is that is real, and when they change it to be something that's 
accurately more American, it sounds wrong. And they're like, no, 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 put it back the other way. But like, that's more, that's more Japanese in every way. And they're like, no, that's the right way. Like, no, it's the right yeah. way though. Yeah. <laughs> Since we're talking about voices, uh, it's in XX that Ishiwatari kind of stops um, uh, being the voice of uh, Soul Bad Guy because uh, what came with uh, the console versions of uh, X2 was that was a, a long story mode story mode that was like a, a visual novel and a lot of it was uh, dubbed in Japanese so since Ichiwatari wasn't uh, like what they call a, a seiyu in Japanese mm. so um, uh, a voice actor uh, they decided to take someone else for the whole story mode so uh, starting I don't remember which one of the X2 episodes but you had an option to have uh, either Ishiwatari or a guy that was named George. <laughs> so, uh, I think I Nakata. I don't remember. I'm sorry. I, re I just remember in the setting there was like Daisuke or George. And uh, as a French <laughs> as a French guy, George. Like what? Who is George? <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I feel like that probably was uh, Joji Nakata. Because Joji, oh, Joji sounds phonetically like George, oh, so yeah. that probably was more likely who that was. Yeah. yeah. And so that was the last. Uh, the XX series was where the last episodes where Ishiwatari was uh, the voice for Soul, actually. Uh, and, okay. Yeah. So can you still hear his voice in in the game in the gameplay sections? Yeah, yeah, of course. Because uh, yeah, um, of the option. Yeah, the the voice actor is doing the whole story mode, but they yeah. left in gameplay in uh, the arcade mode or versus mode. You can choose between Ishiwatari or George, and they, they <laughs> have they have quite a, a different take on the character. So that's very interesting to compare. Mm. <laughs> I I want to ask you, um, how did everyone play this game? Like for for this one, um, I I primarily I only played it on PS2. Like. Uh, 2002 that's when you start seeing like arcades have been dying off for like a little while now like uh, consoles have taken over you know uh, ps2 was probably more powerful than a lot of the arcade boards that were out at the time so that, that was another big shift going on um, did did you guys play in the arcade as well i think i saw a cabinet for it once but like predominantly the way that i played it was a uh, japanese ps2 uh, import that was okay. that was the way that I played it. I don't think I actually played it until Reload, but yeah, I, I mainly played it on PS2. I agree with James. I feel like I played it on a cabinet before, but it wasn't a normal thing. It was something like, I think like me and Latif saw the cabinet somewhere. We were like, we must play this game. But yeah, yeah, we it's kind played of, it on PS2. Yeah, it's kind of like when I randomly when Capcom versus SNK2 was just coming out and in new york you could go to like random places and it was like you know a nail salon or something would have like a cabinet for the game or <laughs> like it would be like some weird place that you didn't expect it and that's kind of what i felt like whenever i saw guilty gear in an actual cabinet was that oh my god like i this isn't supposed to be here clearly <laughs> i have to play this you know and i enjoyed it for what i for what i could sometimes the buttons weren't set up correctly in terms of the button layout for the game uh you know that's some of the experiences some of my friends said when they saw it out in the cabinet in the wild but you know predominantly i played it at home i mean i thought to myself like man that was really cool that i did get to play it at least once on a cabinet but yeah like you really didn't see that uh too often so 
you know, most of, most of us were sitting home, you know, on our PS2s, playing with our arcade sticks and, uh, you know, trying to break the game apart at home. I played it on PS2, uh, too. And, uh, but I played uh, some arcade versions because uh, we have a quite... Uh, I think in the United States is the same. We have a lot of uh, arcade uh, cabinet maniacs in France, and we have a, a festival which is also a tournament called Stunfest. And um, I've been doing, going to Stunfest since for 15 years now. <laughs> and oh, uh, and, and uh, the the thing is, some people, you know, would bring their own version of the game and then their own cabs. So I remember playing Guilty Gear on an arcade version, but I can't remember which one, <laughs> to be honest. Since mm. um, Guilty Gear was a Naomi game, it was not uncommon to meet uh, Naomi arcade uh, cabinets because uh, CVS2 and Marvel vs. Capcom 2 were also on uh, Naomi games. It was a Sega hardware at the time. And... Uh, uh, I'm saying this because it will be important later in the story of Guilty Gear because there's Izuka and Sami and uh, things like that. So, yeah, I played it. And did you play on a pad or an arcade stick? To, to me, I started playing in, on a pad because uh, I didn't have an arcade stick. And the first time I played it, I played the game. We, we, we plugged uh, the PS2 uh, with an adapter on an arcade cable so we, we could play it. Like it was the arcade, but it was the, the PlayStation 2 version. I was like, whoa, that's how the game is supposed to be played. And it's such a different experience because suddenly you see like the pixel that makes the eye of the character. You have the sound coming so loud and the, the, the sound of the game saturates a lot. So playing in an arcade, I was like, okay, that's amazing. I want to play the game next year at Stanfest on the arcade cabinet. So I have to learn how to play with an arcade stick. And I bought an arcade stick just to play, <laughs> uh, just to learn. And I learned playing um, Guilty Gear, uh, playing with an arcade stick on Guilty Gear specifically. It was very hard. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to, wow. wanted to mention, uh, uh, or rather rail on uh, D-pads right now specifically. So uh, I've always had a problem with Sony's D-pad because it has um, increments that are broken up. Uh, unlike, and this is why I think Dreamcast was such a, a, a fun thing for most people to play on if they didn't have a stick, is the Dreamcast D-pad was a single button that had a rotation uh, uh, module in the center so that you could place your finger on it and you could roll left and right so you could do each position. Whereas like Sony has stuck this kind of like um, up, down, left, right broken thing. So you basically like can't not destroy your fingers uh, when doing any kind of complicated fighting game moves. Of course, eventually most people moved to the stick, but uh, this is just a, um, a tangent of an ode to Dreamcast's very good D-pad design. Um, I don't think anyone else has done it yet because without having the central point, like basically the uh, for Guilty Gear, the five point as the center where the D-pad rolls off of it, um, it's very difficult to do moves uh, in a way that is uh, easy to control and, again, doesn't destroy your fingers. So... Yeah, Guilty Gear was not a game meant to be played on a pad, to be honest. Uh, with yeah. X, it was still okay, but with XX, with the false Roman cancels that require you to play to to press three buttons at the same time on a on a window that is like three or four frames, you have like this short window where you have to to to, to press to press it. You had to add shortcuts 
for example, on the triggers of the pad to be able to do them because it was almost impossible other, uh, otherwise. So I was very happy to move to an arcade stick. Mm. I was already using arcade sticks and I had kind of left game pads, you know, in the past for a while, at least for fighting games. So, you know, when I did play Guilty Gear, I had already said to myself, thank God I've gotten used to a stick already because I don't think I could have played that on a Dreamcast controller. I feel like it's impossible to play a Guilty Gear game on a Dreamcast controller, even though the pad is good. It's just where the buttons are is like the biggest problem. But they definitely had a great D-pad, though. That is for sure. I definitely, it took some getting used to for like PlayStation controllers with the segmented like up, down, left, right thing. So I'm in agreement with you, Sean. I mean, and I eventually, I think I mentioned this, uh, I, I actually eventually got a, uh, the limited edition Soul Calibur stick that's got like the, the memories. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's incredible. We, we had uh, the, the, this, this Soul Calibur, just, just a, a trivia, this Soul Calibur stick, you know, it was a Ori uh, fighting stick and it was terrible. To be honest, the the stick, <laughs> the buttons and things like that. So I remember when uh, at that time it was very expensive to buy an arcade stick. So you will buy this arcade stick, which is the which was the, the cheapest you could find. It was like 100 euros uh, at the oh time, and um, so you had then to import uh, Sa- uh, Sanwa uh, GLF arcade stick and Sanwa buttons, and then you had since on the since the the, the buttons were wired to the PCB of the arc- the Soul Calibur arcade stick, you had to dewire everything, and we would buy uh, pads like uh, cheap pads uh, that uh, cost ten bucks, and we would make arc pads. You know, you would just take the PCB of the new pad and you will put wire on uh, on some places and rewire it to your new <laughs> arcade stick. <laughs> so in the end, it will cost you like 100 and, I don't know, 60 euros to have a cheap and badly made arcade stick that was breaking <laughs> all the time because you, had, you, you were making so small uh, soldering points on the pad. That was terrible, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> on my side, I I, ha- I was lucky. I learned on you know the um, the small Tekken tree uh, arcade stick. I don't know if you remember it. It was uh, very small, gray, and the buttons and the arc the the ball top were yellow, like bright yellow. Maybe you've seen it in the past. And uh, it was a PS1 arcade stick, so you had nothing to do on it. <laughs> I was lucky. <laughs> But yeah, things change since the, this period too. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a different time, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's you know that's worth pointing out. Like a, a lot of people kind of take it for granted that uh, the fighting game experience is very different, um, especially for something like Guilty Gear, depending on if you use a pad or or, or um, you know a stick. Uh, like you were saying, uh, Guilty Gear requires a lot of um, inputs that are multiple button presses simultaneously. And that's so much easier on an arcade stick. It's very intuitive. Whereas, um, you know, it's, in the arcade, it was what, a five button game, right? Five, six if you count or the six. count button. Right, right. Yeah. And then, um, you, you know, like uh, on, on a pad, because you have to, um, hot, you know, you, you have to map some of the multiple inputs to the triggers, it, it ends up using like every button on the pad. It's, it's actually less intuitive. You'd think it'd be easier pressing one button, but it's, 
I don't know. It's 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 weirdly more of a mental load, I think. You know, yeah. it's funny you bring that up because uh, I definitely have had like certain games. There's like a particular issue with that where you you would think, oh, you're streamlining this, but like if you're used to pushing multiple buttons at the same time, the muscle memory takes a while to adjust. Because uh, I definitely had that problem when dust became one button, I always felt like I was reaching really far over, almost like I was reaching across the street metaphorically, like whatever I needed <laughs> to do dust. So the, and I think the only reason I got used to it was because I got obsessed with doing uh, Souls dust. dust Loop. Ah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I was All right, with them too. Let's get into that. The Dust Loop. Oh, man. So, oh. okay. So at the time, right, like Guilty Gear was really popular, but it, you know, it's like niche popular. And I'm not sure if Daigo created the loop or he just no. took it from another player. But there was this footage of him playing the game and people were kind of skeptical about Daigo playing Guilty Gear because it's not his kind of game. You know, Daigo plays Super Turbo, Vampire Savior. And at the time he kind of stopped playing Third Strike, but he played what people call proper Street Fighter, where zoning and spacing are like the predom predominant elements without too much flash. So Guilty Gear seemed like the complete opposite of what he played. But there was this video circling around like, Daigo's doing infinites on people because people didn't know that it was just a loop. And <laughs> people were like, oh my God, Daigo's a beast. He can play anything. And the thing about this combo, right, is when you see it, it's, it's segmented. But there's something about when you see the first dust loop hit in the second, not dust loop, but the second dust hit, and you hear the third one, and you hear Ishiwatari's like, oh, that, like, that voice. Yeah. Oh, it that does do well. <laughs> like, you're just like, oh, my God, this is the coolest thing you could do in this game. Yeah, and yeah, it, yeah. And Guilty Gear is super popular. And I remember seeing that, and I was like, I'm playing this game now. Like, I was already into it. But, like, when I saw that combo, I was like, I'm learning this combo right now. Yeah, like, I'm just saying. I stopped everything, and I was like, I got to learn this combo, like, right now. Just, just to explain, basically... When you launch, when you're in the corner, you, you put your opponent on the corner, you launch the opponent, and after that, you do a combination of moves that will put it at the right eight, um, at the right eight, and then what you do is super stupid. You jump, and with when you are um, rising, you press dust. And so Sol does uh, the, the dust move. So it's a single hit move. And when you go down after your, your, your jump, you redo the move. And you could do that four times. So it was eight, uh, so four loops. So eight times the dust button. And you only have to do this. The timing is a bit tricky when you start. but And each time you do it, there's the Ichiwatari voice that says, Tadaki, Tadaki. <laughs> Oh, teya, teya, teya. And so, yeah. and it does, it does like fifty percent of life bar. So it's super stylish. It's super loud, and uh, it's uh, it's it's incredible. It's incredible. Like you said, I, I was the same. I had to stop. I had to learn it. And which is which is incredible is that you could do it from almost anything in the game yeah like like you know he has this throw like he, he catches you and then he flips you behind himself yeah, and and you you ground bounce and you could like run 
<laughs> like the guy, you, you just bounce the guy on the ground and you would run <laughs> under the guy to do the dust loop. That was crazy. That was crazy. And if you want an anecdote like this too, Daigo actually came to France, I think it was in 2004 or 2005, and he had um, he had after first to 10 uh, challenge from the best French player at the time. And uh, <laughs> and Daigo was like, okay, we do the challenge after we eat. And so since it was the east of France, they, they went to eat the traditional food and he drank so much wine. He was a bit drunk and he still managed to dust loop everyone. <laughs> <laughs> that and, sounds like go. Yep. And and put uh and I, I don't remember the score but it was uh it was very very hard I remember it. So nice yeah. nice memories, nice memories and best combo, best combo. And the thing that is funny is that it's fun, you know, but it with the years it kind of lose uh it can it becomes a bit boring. To be honest, yeah. and and yeah. it's broken because the reason why you could do that is because the dust button has so much stun when you are touching the opponent that you could do a lot more things with this button. So when they move to the final iteration of XX, which is uh, accent curve, they completely removed it and uh, replaced it with a, a new loop that was harder to make but very stylish too. So yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can still do it in. Uh... Exert. So, yeah. I mean, it's it's still it's like a it's it, it became a staple. Yeah. When they know? when they announced Exert, I don't know if you remember, but when they announced Exert in the first trailer, they they put a dust loop. And when they yeah. announced when they announced uh, Strive, they also put a dust they loop inside. Loop it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's 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 a uh, like when you see it. Just think back to like a time when the internet was kind of small mm. and like something like this circulating about a game that not many people know. Like, I mean, people know about it, but like people didn't know know about it. So like, you see something like that. You got like Marvel versus Capcom 2 players looking at that going, yo, what is this? Yeah, like, because it's a, yeah, it's a loop. It's, it's very Marvel-like, uh, to be honest. Like it's, it's like the Dash Cancel... Uh, combos of marvels or things like that so it's it's just normal you you can uh, put your mind into you know uh, a kind of repetitive way i don't know how to say it but it's it's kind of primal you know you you, you press buttons press buttons in read and yeah. it's almost it's always the same button but it does there's a kind of music when you press the buttons uh, like uh, in loops like that and it's so so cool to do yeah, correct me if I'm wrong here, but like I think that might have been the catalyst for the whole uh, thing in Third Strike at, at a certain point, where in arcades, if someone was doing a Ganagen combo in Japan, you know, people would kind of go, hey, like with every yeah. hit, like I yeah, feel yeah. like it was a catalyst for that kind of like uh, collective camaraderie for this like primal urge to just beat the crap out of somebody <laughs> in the most stylish way possible. Like yeah. it, it. Outside of the, the technical aspect of it, just seeing that combo, it was like the best elevator pitch for why somebody might be interested in fighting games. Not just because they can do this this combo, but because of the way it looked. You have all these aesthetics sort of like coming together cohesively. And even for somebody that's like a casual player, seeing something so cool like that is kind of like an anime moment. Where you're just yeah. like, wow, like that, like my favorite scene in like, you know, this this anime that I like, where my my favorite character does this cool thing in a fight or something. Like it had that same kind of like, wow, that's a cool moment kind of thing. So 
it pulled a lot of people toward Guilty Gear um, in a way that I don't think any other element in the game could have done that. And in a way, competitively, it saved Guilty Gear, ironically, in my opinion, at least. Mm. The thing is also you have to contextualize that YouTube only started to exist, I think, in 2005. So, and even at this moment, nobody was watching videos online uh, through streaming. So the only way to have information about how to do combos and how the games uh, worked was to buy the, the guidebook uh, in Japan or import it and being yep. able to <laughs> read it because it was all Japanese, <laughs> which nobody could do. And uh, or you had uh, combo movies. Yep. And that was, that's a whole thing that's almost dead now because everyone posts their combos, you know, on uh, on social media or in uh, in streams or things like that. But at the time, I remember I was going like each month to um, to players were GeoCities websites or things like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I was and. It was all Japanese, and I was I was putting you know the text into uh, Babelfish translation, and oh my god, Babelfish, and, that's right. Yeah, and and I was and uh, and sometimes there was a new link, and the new link was a zip file, and inside the zip files there were combo movies, <laughs> and that was and it was. It oh, was the man. only way to download those those things, and you could you, you will download it, and it was often something that had, you know, crazy editing with music. So it was very art eater in in a sense because it was a cross between other you know uh, pop culture things and Guilty Gear, and it was making the characters so cool because they were doing crazy combos you could not do in match or they, or they were sometimes impossible to do, but it created some a kind of distorted way of playing the game because we were like, oh, since we didn't have matches because outside of uh, SBO, Tugeki or things like that, matches were not recorded. Arcades could not record matches. So we had no idea how the game was really played in arcade. We were like young Europeans guys uh, trying to, <laughs> to see how do yeah. you play the game? And all you have to, all you have to, to as a reference, is combo movies. <laughs> That's yeah. not reality yeah. at all. So yeah, people it, people don't realize that like you know Mikado Game Center was like an anomaly uh, when it came to stuff like that. And this was years later where they were actually doing direct feed, uh, you know, of match videos. Before that, you know, there was no recording or photography really allowed in Japanese arcades, because even for uh, the CVS2 scene, you know, there were people that illegally would record match videos and then post them because, you know, people wanted to know what was going on in the game. And certain game centers were more strict than others. So, you know, maybe with Guilty Gear, because it was more popular, they probably had somebody that was circulating a lot and like watching people. So, you, I mean, you saw match videos kind of come up online, but it was kind of rare. So he's right. You know, combo videos were a thing that people would look at and say, okay, well, I guess this is what you do in the game. Um, and then they found out some of that stuff wasn't practical or it was too hard to do in a match. But then you'd have like a few people who actually could do those things in matches, but their gameplay in terms of like competitively, like against an opponent was not so good. They were just kind of relying on, okay, I need to get this one hit 
so I can do this thing, you know, yeah, but once they it. do it, they mm. don't know what else to do. So it was like a weird, it was a weird time for yeah, sure. It, it's like you, you're playing to, you have an idea of how you want to play to reproduce things you saw in combo movies and stuff like that. But it's, you can't play the game like that. It's not, it's not meant to be played like that. You have to, to play in the present. You know, you can't say, oh, I'm not going to punish this thing since I think uh, I will have a better punish that will allow me to start my combo movie frenzy <laughs> that I uh, practice uh, for six months and I will never be able to push to, to, to put in a, in a real match. But it was a, yeah, a different time. You, you didn't know how to play games, to be honest. Yes. And uh, you can see that easily in, the, in how, for example, First Strike evolved. Like in, uh, I think it's in 2004 or 2005 when they, it was seven years after after the game was uh, released, they found the 100 100% death combo of Makoto, you know, the the one where yeah. she does uh, two uh, three dragon punches after her super. Yeah, three and, from uh, Abare. Yeah, that's a, the, yeah. I think that's the Tominaga combo. Yeah. Yeah, and it all it completely changed the meta of the game and it's the same for Marvel vs Capcom 2 the, the the game evolved from strategy to strategy because at the time games were I don't know were explored way less than they are today today they are like fighting game scientists people that yeah. know how to break games and find stuff and things like that and so the ga games are discovered very f way faster now But yeah. uh, at the time, uh, it was uh, they were not discovered at all. We we're just doing very, very badly. <laughs> well, interestingly enough, it you know just to kind of like piggyback off of that for like a slight tangent, Marvel vs. Capcom 2 oddly benefited from that. There was a Japanese yeah. combo video maker named Ju, and I think he may have been part of the Make Yosisui series, where he was just doing combos that were cool and there was a combo in there i think the name of the player at the time was rom there was a magneto combo and they called it the rom infinite yeah and that combo literally survived the entire competitive cycle of marvel versus capcom 2 mm -hmm. and became one of the most practical uh in tournament combos that you saw from like the game's inception and It was like that combo literally put Magneto on the map. It put Storm on the map, it, you know, Psylocke. Like it became something that was a common staple for the game. Now the rest of the stuff in the video was a bunch of just pretty absurdity. Like it was just <laughs> stuff that you just couldn't do with characters that weren't good. But it was like the one thing that somebody pulled from that combo video and it became something that was like, you know, like a universal way of approaching how to use Magneto. Um, but yeah, outside of that, a lot of that stuff was just art and there's not much that you could really do about it. So it kind of gave the wrong conception about like how people could play games. And you had a lot of people who were just like running around trying to get that one little short into something cool mm -hmm. without yeah. any sort of concern for the game. So it was, like I said, combo videos were a weird time, but I think uh, interestingly enough, getting that stuff in people's faces was a catalyst for their interest to peak. Yeah. So in a way, it, it still was helpful. And I think with Guilty Gear, you know, that Dust Loop combo, man, that had everybody talking. Everybody knew what Guilty Gear was because of that combo. Mm. I still have a, on my hard drive right there a combo movie. I think it's 10 minutes long. It's And it's uh, Soul Bad Guy Dust Loop one-on-one. -on -one. 
<laughs> and it's 10 minutes of Soul Bad Guy Dust Loop from every start possible. I have like, a, I think, like 50 videos uh, I found on an old hard drive. It's all Guilty Gear combo movies from that time. <laughs> it's almost archaeology at, at this point. Yeah, it's, it's, it's honestly like a it's, a, it's a stamp in time. I mean, if if people have time to look up, you know, movies like that, like you will see some of the most amazing stuff. And I mean, I don't blame you for keeping them because it, it's, <laughs> it, you'll never see anything like that again. Not in yeah. that context, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe we should go back to Guilty Gear. <laughs> I think we lost the track of the episode. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, it's a credit to the game that you, you could speak so long about this one very particular aspect of it, you know? It's, I'll send uh, you a combo movies later. I'll, I'll make a, a big uh, a big zip file like in the old times for you. Encode it to real media player. Oh, oh my God. Uh, Windows uh, w, WMV uh, <laughs> format. <laughs> uh, include your favorite Windows skin too. <laughs> yeah, especially you get Winamp in the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, oh, but yeah. To, to come back to Guilty Gear, what's in, what's is very interesting is that you we, we mentioned oh we found it so amazing and uh, oh we can we somehow appropriate the game for ourselves. And uh, something that is very interesting with the XS accessories is that the game designers uh, um, kinda followed players instead of uh, imposing their own visions of the game. And uh, it's something like, we, we mentioned False Run Cancel as a way, you know, you do the gun flame, you cancel the gun flame, you run, and so uh, you're, you're running towards the face of your opponent with your buddy uh, flame there. But it was busted. It was completely busted in XX when the game came out. And Dust Loop 2, because you could, like, like I said, you could do things very easily and for example with soul a thing you will do is you do gunflame you cancel it you run and actually you were running faster than the gunflame was moving so you were actually you it's like you you pressing buttons in the um, and your opponent is blocking you do gunflame you cancel it and you're instantly close to him and you can throw him before the gunflame came so some things like that were completely broken. And in the next iterations of the game, like the like the reload episode, which is important is that it's the last episode uh, in which Ishiwatari was involved uh, as a director and a game designer and things like that. And they changed timings so they were later in movement. For example, if you do, I don't know, an uppercut, let's say, or, or let's stay with the, the gun flame. You do the gun flame, and at the time when the gun flame, pre precisely at the moment it came out, you pressed three buttons, you were free to go, you know. And um, when the uh, new episodes came, each time they were making this timing where you can cancel later in the move because people were going too fast. And that's... A staple in the XX series that people brought those games in eights that the game designers never intended. And uh, I think the, the the best example of this is probably the uh, Eddie or Zato One player uh, Ogawa, 
that maybe you know. Um, yeah. Yes, I remember. The, the, that. Yeah, this guy he practically he, practic he, he pr practically killed Guilty Gear Reload. You know, because he was so strong, his character was so strong. He had busted unblockables uh, and setups to bring uh, the, his opponent to the, to this situation. So each time, with each episode, the game designer were trying to make the game. I won't say harder, but all the cancels and things like that. Yes, they were harder to do because they were less natural in the timing. And uh, I remember when I played Accent Core for the first time, I do Gunflame and want to cancel it. And I'm like, whoa, I have to wait a long time. And it's not a long time, like one second. It's probably like, I don't know, uh, 30 frames later, but it feels like yeah. an eternity. <laughs> like half a second. Yeah. Yeah. But but what is interesting, really, really interesting in this game, and it's important because with BlazBlue and XR and things like that, it changed. And Arc System Work changed a bit in the in this aspect, is that instead of saying, okay, you can't do that, they said, okay, you do that, that's not great, but we're going to try to find a way so you can still do it, but it doesn't destroy the game. And that's amazing. That's an amazing way of doing a game because you know with with uh, zato 180 the, this character is basically two characters at the same time one one character you press the button and the first character play and the shadow that uh, that is with him it uh, plays when you release the button so basically if you're like a, a piano master you can play two characters at the same time and so yeah. instead of saying we're going to nerf your character we're going to remove your ability to uh, play the two characters at the same time or do do this or do that they said okay you can do it but we're going to change the whole mechanics of the game so you can't do it repetitively and uh, and maybe you don't know it but in the last iteration of accent core there's basically first strike uh, parry inside it so it's done very differently with two buttons and things like that, but it was done so people could continue to express themselves with characters without breaking the game, you know. And the, the real problem, like we said with Dustloop, is that if you let people do the same thing over and over and over and over again, the game becomes boring. And uh, it was cool in 2002 to make Dustloops, but in 2006, <laughs> you're eating dust up for four years <laughs> yeah you're like you're like okay I, i'd like something else and um and they, they were very smart about it because they never tried you know to change a character to say i have a vision for it or you're a bad boy you should not be able to do this they never went this way they all they always said you have to express yourself but and we have to find a way to make the game enjoyable while you are uh, expressing yourself inside it. I think that's, oh, go ahead, James. You, you bring up an excellent point in, in terms of self-expression. Uh, and, and I feel like Guilty Gear uh, is one of those games that really embodied that regardless mm. of the changes that have come at least up until games that are currently out. I mean, I'm sure there's a divide about Exerd, but overall, uh, there's a lot of expression that's allowed. And that's one of the things that I enjoy personally about fighting games in terms of how I communicate within them. I mean, you know, Richmond and Sean have known me for a long enough time to know that 
I have a particular type of language that I communicate in every fighting game that I touch. And to be able to do that is a wonderful feeling. I mean, you know, it's, it's akin to how I feel when I'm drawing, when I'm doing illustrations and trying to communicate with my own voice. And I feel like Guilty Gear is one of those games that allowed people to develop a voice over a large span of time. And even within those changes, they're allowed to still express uh, that, that self-expression that they want to with their characters and their movements and the nuances of their movements. And I feel like with Guilty Gear, well, in, with any fighting game, when a, when a developer realizes the importance of that and does what they need to do to maintain that within a fighting game, that, that says a lot about the developer and their relationship with the player base as well, both uh, competitive, obviously more strictly competitive, but for also for casuals as well, because once casuals get exposed to it, I feel like they also might say, hey, I feel like I want to move a certain way with this character because of what I've seen. I like that this is the thing. A dash becomes a different thing when you see it applied in a particular way when a, when a certain player does it. So it's 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 something that I think is really important in fighting games, and it's really great that Guilty Gear, you know, for the most part, keeps that up. So, uh, I wanted to uh, put a point on something that Thomas mentioned that I think speaks to the game design philosophy of Guilty Gear and what keeps it really fun. So uh, you're, you're kind of, you were kind of talking about the, that something gets boring because you can do it over and over again. You can't really uh, escape it. And we're, we're talking a lot about self-expression, but uh, there's a term that comes up a lot in modern game design that I think a lot of studios don't pick up on, which is the idea of counterplay, which is um, it can be fun to achieve something insane, like a, a, a loop combo or something, but uh, it's not necessarily going to be fun for the other player or necessarily fun for yourself if you can't if you can keep doing it or if they can't get out of it. And I think uh, to your point, most a lot of game developers nowadays in terms of balance, they tend to like what Thomas said, they tend to nerf or buff things trying to get that balance in place. And I, I think what what you mentioned is the Guilty Gear designers really understood that rather than taking away the power of something or taking away your ability to express yourself, they put they continue to put more and more tools into the game to allow the other player to counterplay against what's doing. I think in, in this game with the burst gauge being added, mm-hmm. uh, as well as things like um, Roman cancels, is as they like layer on these mechanics, they're they're just giving you more and more ways to counterplay around what someone else is doing. So it never feels unfair because there's always there's actually there was a way for you to have gotten out of it or for you to understand what the other player is doing. But because there's so many additional systems that you have, so many colors you have to paint with, if you will, then it starts giving way to very distinct styles of how people do things. And I, I think um, what Thomas said is right, is that Guilty Gear has been doing this for so long this way that it's really continued to make the game continue to be interesting because they, they, don't, they don't squelch broken things. They just redirect them in a way that continues them to be fun. And I think they understood the the push and pull between achievement and counterplay um, is really important for that game. And I think in, it, it's also what makes fighting games such an interesting thing to watch, whereas things like maybe, say, MOBAs or shooters, other types of esports, uh, they struggle actually with this quite a bit because they they um, in order for them to offer something with counterplay they often design design characters into a corner or something like that where they can like if they buff or or nerf them they basically just make them overpowered or underpowered and i think uh guilty gear designers whether or not they did it entirely intentionally uh 
built a design system around it where they they can make adjustments and stuff like that, but they don't necessarily uh, ever design themselves into that problem where where they're like, oh, well, we made a character that um, is is has fun mechanics that are too powerful, um, and then if we nerf them too much, then they're not powerful enough. So uh, to me, that's something that's always exciting to see the the idea of counterplay because it's always halfway fun to see how someone gets out of an really insane combo mm. or um, if they can. Uh, we, we, I talked last time about the the kind of the um, the the well known uh, parry seen around the world. Like to me, parrying the idea of of uh, the counterplay of it, like that someone could be winning and then someone could turn it around so quickly with their own style, uh, is part of what makes um, watching these games so fun. Yeah, that's that's interesting because the um, the uh, Killer Instinct game designer uh, Adam. Hurt uh, on Twitter, his name uh, Kate. He, he was in, a, in an interview a few weeks ago, and he said, "You have." I think he said uh, something like, "You have to not only uh, focus your game for um, for a target audience, you should also focus your character for a target audience. Each character should have a target audience, and that's something that Guilty Gear does." very 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 well too that I, i'm not surprised that all sorts of people uh played guilty gear and find found the character that suits them because i don't know if they made it you know um uh, with with you know they, they they thought about it or just they they thought oh i want to do something that's cool because when you when you read today interviews of uh, guilty gear developers and things like that they always say something like oh we have we had an idea for gameplay and uh we did character design after uh we after we decided the gameplay so oh, really Yeah, yeah, a lot of time it's this way. Like, I think characters like Venom, for example, uh, it was like they, they wanted the projectile characters, uh, EV projectile characters, because there wasn't anyone uh, this way uh, in uh, in the series. And so uh, they decided that, okay, we want this type of character. And often, very often in the fighting games development, the, uh, the concept in game design uh, of gameplay came first before... Uh, character design that, that's so pretty common for um most any game that has a character that has what you would call a kit or has their own move set it's uh like i know heroes of the storm league of legends um I'm trying to think there's a couple other games that uh, like like you said it's actually a very common way to, to start mm. off a character and start with their mechanics and their feel yeah so Speaking of which, maybe we can speak about the characters that appeared in, in Yes, in yes. let's talk about the uh, new characters. So um, in, in the previous podcast, we talked about, yeah, Guilty Gear is a wonderful cast. It's, it's one of the best, you know, up there with Street Fighter and Samurai Showdown, Darkstalkers. Um, and it's always been very strange. Like, uh, there's very few characters that are, that you could call conventional. And then uh, by the time you get to XX, like, Man, the newcomers are all pretty unusual. <laughs> there's, um, yeah, they there, went up there's... themselves for sure. <laughs> oh my god! Bridget, Zappa, and Slayer, man, and yep. uh, you know, like, yep, just... the last boss, you know, yeah. Who? Oh. Which one should we get into first? Bridget. <laughs> yes, let's do it. Let's do it. I was gonna mention. Uh, I forget who it is. Did y'all know that there there was a a, a fighting game uh, player that would dress up like Bridget to play her <laughs> sure. or him? I think it's the the um, maybe it's uh, Rue 
I think it was called Rue or something yeah. like that. He was the, yeah, the is uh, is the best uh, Bridget player. So yeah, Bridget, which is basically a ripoff from the main character from the anime Chrono Crusade, I think. Do you remember this this uh, anime Chrono with the uh, Chrono Crusade with um, the main character was a nun with guns. Oh you yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, remember yeah. it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I totally and, uh, see that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you can. When you remember it, you're like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> a cool anecdote about it is that uh, this this character was almost entirely um, animated by Toshimoshi Mori, which is the creator of the Blast Blue series. Oh. And uh, yeah, and uh, Mori was uh, an animator. Actually, what happened is that I don't know if you talked about it in the uh, Guilty Gear X uh, episode, but when Guilty Gear, the first one, came out, uh, it made a huge impression, like you said in the in the episode, and one, uh, and the, the Sami company, the company Sami, wanted to, which is a patching, co-patching slot uh, company, so, you know, like the equivalent of uh, gambling, gambling games in Japan, which it's not really gambling games, they wanted yeah. to come in arcades, which is surprising because arcades were dying. <laughs> and so that's them who asked Arc System Works for an HD version of the game. And um, they didn't have enough staff at Arc System Works. So they hired another company. And this other company was actually Mori's company. And this company were, was then incorporated inside Arc System Works. And that's Oh, uh, Mori, who will, who will then create the Blast Blue series, uh, came into um, into Arc System Works by creating sprites and uh, and things for uh, an animation for Guilty Gear X, and then for Guilty Gear XX, and then Blast Blue and blah blah blah. So uh, that's a small uh, small story. <laughs> and oh, then wow, so so he had to. Um, do you remember the stance of Bridget? Like he's almost dancing with the yo-yos and uh, yeah, the, yeah. The, the arms are doing are going all everywhere. And Mori, in an interview, he said, oh, Ishiwatari asked me to animate this and I hated him for asking me this because it was very, very hard to do. Mm. So that's, that's a, a trivia for you. <laughs> nice. But yeah, it's... Oh, yeah, and- no, go, go. Oh, um, just, just, just so uh, the, that the listeners uh, know, um, and, and if you're not familiar, Bridget is, uh, uh, so we were just saying, this character looks very much like a female nun uh, with guns from another anime. But um, So this character looks uh, feminine, but uh, Bridget is actually uh, yeah, male. And um, his backstory is that uh, he's from a village where um, uh, identical twins are considered really bad luck. Uh, so uh, his parents, he, he, he was born uh, uh, with, you know, a, a pair of twins. Um, his parents decided to raise him as a female because it would be, you know, taboo in their society to have uh, same sex identical twins. Yeah. So that's why uh, that's how you have this character that is a um, I, I don't know how you would. Uh, uh, is Bridget con- as considered male, female presenting gender fluid? Um, I'm uh, not really sure. Considered male, male because in the in the game when uh, people uh, talk to Bridget about being a girl, he says, uh, "No, I'm a boy." So okay. uh, it's uh, yeah, it's clear. It's clear for uh, him at least. 
wanted to mention I looked it up. The the player I was thinking of was Mahoko. So what? Sorry. The player that, that dresses up as a Bridget when he plays uh, him. Oh, oh okay. Okay. Um, which, which is surprising with the Bridget that it's the first, I would say, anime, uh, you know, inspires anime game in Guilty Gear, which is really obvious, you know, uh, because you, you talked about it in the first episode about how uh, Guilty Gear seems anime but it's not you know <laughs> because yeah, yeah, it's it's it's, thing, it's, yeah. it's it's too different and um and bridget sound when i saw the character the first time i was like oh that's very very anime you know and okay it's different than uh, another anime because uh, bridget actually fights with yo-yo because yo-yo were a big thing in that period for whatever reason so <laughs> So you so uh, you can throw uh, yo-yos everywhere in the in the stage and then make them call back, uh, calling them back, while transforming them in teddy bears uh, mounted with weapons. So that's very guilty gear for you. But the yeah. initial, you know, the initial look of the character when you look at it, you're like, oh, that's yeah, that's anime. And uh, I don't know what you feel, how you feel about this character, but I always felt it was cool but the first step into more uh, more uh, i don't know how to say it uh, animation of the guilty gear series that will continue yeah. in the xr series later but uh, yeah that's how i felt uh, i feel actually about the character yeah i think that's a good point yeah yeah i, I would say the the first couple of guilty gears i mean it's, it's very much i'd say it feels more like a manga or something than like what you would consider like really otaku-y like anime mm. um it really it had its own identity uh, it always does it still does but yeah yeah i think bridget is the first one to directly reference like a pretty contemporary uh, anime like you know we're talking about references to bastard but they're a jumping off point the characters aren't like one to one yeah th this one's pretty clear though visually but i would say uh, uh, turning the character into a, a a male is a pretty big change and yeah. this was not normal at the time like i think a lot of people would have played this game and found bridget to be like an attractive uh, female character you know and then um uh back then maybe i don't know how people felt uh, when they found out the character was male you know maybe i'm pretty maybe it awakened sure it something a, in them i don't i'm pretty sure it was shocking. A, i'm pretty sure it was a big deal in that uh, it's a very Catholic nun outfit that he's wearing as well. Um, yeah. And I, I can't imagine that that wasn't uh, spicy in some way, especially during this time. Yeah, that's because there's this Catholic, you know, tem thematic around him that it's making him special. Because if he, if he was just a cute, uh, a cute boy dressed as a girl, it wouldn't be the same. Since it's still, you know, the, the Catholic imagery with the cross and things like that, it feels like uh, it's metal, like uh, irrespective, uh, you know, uh, disrespect, uh, disrespecting uh, religions like metal will do, like rock and roll will do, you know. So it fits in the game this way, the, this character. But uh, without it, I'm not sure the character will fit in the game. Yeah. I don't know. That's my interpretation. <laughs> I always wondered what the inspiration of adding the the yo-yo was, though, because the 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 way that the character uses it is really pretty pretty fun. Like, but uh, all these elements don't feel like they should work together. But uh, he's actually a pretty <laughs> cohesive character. 
Like yeah. What you said, like all these elements should not work together, is basically a Guilty Gear character <laughs> design <laughs> in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like oh, this this uh, like <laughs> like you you take Venom. Oh, it's a guy without a shirt and uh, his hair. Uh, he has a tattoo on his hair, and his hair covers yeah, his face, hair. and he yeah. plays pool uh, while fighting. Like what? <laughs> yep. And he's gay. Yeah, also. <laughs> which, uh, you know, yeah, that's true, yeah. They don't make a big yeah. deal out of it or anything. but that, yeah, No, which is great, actually. Videos. Great, you know. Yeah. yeah, it's actually really cool that they do drop stuff like that without... Um, mm -hmm. yeah. I think uh, Guilty uh, Gear has always been pretty uh, pretty forward-thinking in terms of inclusiveness. Like, they do they do people to, like, characters to be weird, but they've never really had, like, an agenda around uh, putting, you know... Uh, all sorts of presenting and a variety of different cultures and types of characters and stuff. Mm. Like they, it's just kind of been a fabric of who the character is. Oh know? yeah, yeah. Like Venom is not um, is being gay is not played for jokes ever. Um, it, it does figure into his story and his relationship with other characters. But um, you, you know, Bridget, um, even Bridget's not like it's not really a joke. That's just the character. No, <laughs> like, no. yeah, no, no. And uh, what's interesting too is that and he changed. Also, because in uh, in Xrd later, but uh, it was the game was also forward thinking in um, in terms of uh, women body types, also for example, and women presentation. Because yeah. you had characters like Milia, you had characters like Bacon, uh, Jam, uh, I know too, which is oh, maybe yeah. the first real pinup, you know, of, of the series. And, yeah, actually, um, that's a good point. And, uh, you know, Bacon doesn't wear a bra or trousers, and she doesn't care. She wants just to, 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 to smack your head. And yeah. uh, Jam has a, a very small build, and a bit like Chun-Li with legs, you know, very apparent. Uh, I know he's really the, the babe babe, but it wasn't, you know, uh, it was something really done because it was cohesive with how the characters were. And uh, it kind of changed later with, with the waifuization of uh, video games and characters. Yeah. But uh, yeah. but yeah, that was that was something that was also very inclusive for the time, I would say, forward thinking at least. Yeah. Let's um, let's talk about. Um, uh, I, I, I'm blanking. Out. The the craziest character ever. <laughs> the guy <laughs> possessed by a dozen ghosts. Zappa. Zappa. Yeah. Right. Uh, what yeah. a body type too. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Um yeah. he is like bent literally bent over backwards like his spine is like just really being twisted and he what a concept. I, There's no I, way his his walk is not like a reference to the exorcist or something. Oh totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does the exorcist like upside down spider walk. <laughs> well, yeah. You you yeah, can't like... No, go for it. Go for it. No, I was just I was just gonna say I remember the first time I saw uh, Zappa appear on screen and the particular animation techniques that happen when he starts to have the spasm. Like I had never seen anything quite like that in a in a in a fighting game before. And I honestly I lost to a Zappa player simply because I did not even know how to approach reading anything that he did. <laughs> yeah. Um like, it literally took me out of it where I was like, I felt like the character, and I was in fear of what was in front of me. So I totally misread everything, and I was just like, I have no idea what to do 
or to think about. So like you find yourself going into training mode, pushing buttons just to see what they look like so that you get a better idea. Okay, so that's what this attack is. It starts from here because everything was so new that I it totally wiped my brain. I like mm. for like 22 seconds, I forgot how to play Guilty Gear just because of his presence. Yeah, and well, a lot of his moves are, are quite disgusting too because you said, you, you said he's uh, bent backwards, but it's not like he's standing backwards looking at you like he's a, a gymnast or things like that. He's bent backwards and his body is, you know, going left, going right, going left because yeah. he's not controlling the body and the arms are floating yeah. like like it's, they, are, they are dead members, you know, dead limbs. Yeah, they're and, dangling. There's no life yeah, in his arms. Yeah, there's no life. And after that, when he moves like you do the, I think it's stun slash or things like that, he, he, he stands up and in his back, there's a hole that's open with the mouth and it, it spits like vomit in front of you. And you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's every... crazy is uh, they could have just stopped there, but they didn't. Like he has like, uh, there's like a demon dog. There's like ghosts mm. in straight jackets. Like there's a couple different ghosts that come out in his mm -hmm. attack animations, right? Yeah, yeah the... there's there's the um, the the uh, the Japanese long-haired ghost. The, yeah, uh, that's the a Sadako. Yeah, Sadako. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, the the, the law is um, that Zappa is actually someone who has bad luck in love, and um, he kind of fell in love with Sadako, or Sadako started to possess him, and so they are in a kind of love relationship, but not really oh. because. <laughs> What kind of love relationship is it? And so when you when you guard, for example, he can't since he's bent backward, he can't defend himself. It's Sadako appearing and uh, protecting him, for example. Yeah. And so that's the character that is possessed by ghosts in the Japanese way because it came out in 2002, and I think um, it was uh, the Ring, the movie with uh, Sadako. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the ring was a big, big, big thing, uh, cultural phenomenon at that time. So that's the reason. And uh, one, one, another thing that was uh, that was popular at the time was the manga Lovina. Maybe you remember it. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the um, the anime had this male character that uh, is bad with uh, with girls with relationships, and uh, which is the same with Zappa and. Incidentally, they share the same voice actor. Oh. So, the, so there's a relationship there too between, you know, uh, uh, cultural uh, a manga and anime and Guilty Gear again. Wow. Yeah, because right. visually the character does not look similar to the Love Hina no, character at not all. At all. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Yeah. Yeah. I I read uh, somewhere that his um, his voice phrases are like uh, tongue twisters or something. Uh, like, which is meant to convey that all of the ghosts are trying to talk at the same time. Ah, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, and it was kind of strange uh, to play too because the, the mechanic of the of the character is that you press a quarter circle forward and on a button and he, he does a move and, um, and each time he does this move he will summon a ghost and it's random, it's Kinda random. You don't know which ghost you're going to summon. You can summon a ghost yeah. dog. You can summon three yeah. three faceless ghosts that will stuck with you. You can summon a sword ghost. And each time you hit with certain moves, you collect orbs 
that um, I don't know what they refer to. Maybe it's a mandala thing or thing like that. But it's uh, once you have all of them, you summon a super ghost, which is name, which name is Rao. <laughs> Like uh, uh, Okuto no Ken. Yeah, and yeah. this ghost is incredibly broken. Like once uh, once he has it, you cannot beat him. That's impossible. So <laughs> that so that was the the gameplay of the character. It was super strange, super super strange. I mean, and it's it's still super strange even to today's standards. To be honest, uh, I was just gonna say like Zappa really feels like a whole game system unto himself, which, mm. which is kind of a thing with Guilty Gear. Like the characters feel so different, but somehow um, they're strung together with some core underlying uh, gameplay concepts that just works. Mm. I was gonna say with uh, Guilty Gear one-upping themselves in weirdness, you want to have a very uh, upsetting. Um, experience. Look up a video of Faust fighting against Zappa. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm, I'm going to look that up now, actually. Yeah. But um, they're related story-wise, right? I think, doesn't he um, seek out this strange, uh, unlicensed doctor to yeah. help him with his weird ailment? Yeah, yeah, I think that's something like that. And uh, and I think he, he manages to to get rid of Sadako at some time because in Ixard in is in the story mode and is not uh is not haunted anymore, actually. Oh, okay. So I think he managed to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, real quick, the, um the, when he summons the three ghosts, I you remember how they look, right? They're 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 yeah. you know, they look like sheet ghosts, like they're mm. pale white, they're, they're holes for eyes. I always wondered if maybe they were inspired by... I, I have no evidence for this. This is just intuition. Uh, do, you remember the old Betty Boop uh, short with... Um, oh, yeah. With uh, Cab Calloway? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. And he's seeing St. James Infirmary. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's like this ghost clown. And uh, they, they kind of rotoscoped him, but it, it's it's really beautifully animated. I, I think yeah. they look a lot like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it was so crazy and it was very very hard to play the character has been like low tier for the entire oh, series except for the last episode where they decided that instead of having the ghost sticking to Zappa the ghosts were going to stick to the <laughs> to the opponent <laughs> yeah and so suddenly it's not Zappa who has ghost on him and he sends the ghost to uh, the other player, it's the ghost sticking to the other player. So it oh, made wow. him very broken in the end. And they had to adjust it and uh, he's still top tier in the last series, in the last episode of uh, XX. Ah, okay. Mm. Yeah, let's, um, let's talk about uh, Slayer a bit. You know, we're... Oh, um, so- of the game. Yeah, yeah. So you're going from the weirdest guy to, um, on the, at least on the surface, you're like, oh, okay, this guy seems, um, you know, like he's got it together, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's a way to put it. That's, yeah. that's that's the way to put it. He is a dapper gentleman. I mean, oh yeah. That, that that is that is true. Uh, man, like I almost started playing Slayer just because he had uh, backswing blow like Dudley, just his whole appearance and everything. Like I, I devoted a lot of time learning Slayer. Uh, you know, his, his presence was really cool. Every move that he did had interesting animations. Every mm-hmm. single move. 
you know, and this is before like the later incarnations where, you know, he's even like cooler, but just his first appearance totally set like a specific standard for this character, much like Zappa, where Zappa is like a very specific experience. Uh, I feel like Slayer also was like that as well. Even if in uh, in normal moves like you, you press, you know, stun slash, for example, he does a, a, a punch, but when doing it, it's like he's dancing. You know, dancing yeah. the ballet or something like that because he's suddenly bent back, not bent like backwards, like Zappa, but uh, like, uh, you know, uh, taking a, a, a drama king pose like it <laughs> while eating you. So that's that's very surprising. And like you said, the the whole backswing thing and all. And it's it's so hard also when you were uh, punching people with him. It was like one of the characters that was the most powerful in the game in terms of damage but he didn't have things to help him get to pressure to to close the distance once he was on you he was very strong but otherwise it was he was very struggling and uh yeah very interesting character and i the first thing i uh, uh, that made me have an interest in him is that do you remember his intro pose like he's, he's with his wife Yes, like, yeah. and he yeah. has, you know, the the arm around the shoulders of his wife. They're like, "Wow, uh, the dandy with uh, with his wife." And no, right? he turns to her, and he drinks so much blood from her because he's a vampire that she goes dry, and he like, throws yeah. the body like it's a it's a clothes, you know. Like, oh my yeah, god, like, like, it could blow away in the wind. Yeah. That was yeah, like, like, wow. Yeah, you get like a very distinct. Uh, impression of him and then he totally like just destroys it it's yeah. just like no no I'm not just some guy mm-hmm. I am Slayer I am a vampire and like this is this is my story I am in Guilty Gear and you're along for the ride and you're just like oh okay this guy is awesome uh, he's also got like a, a kind of an over the top aspect to him where like it's not just over the top like you can tell that he's pretty arrogant about himself, like the way that he sits when you when you back up or stuff. But if you guys remember his, uh, he has a punch animation, and I, it's not his air dash, but it's like when he's in the air, it's it's almost cartoonish in the way that he moves. Yeah, he's like um, running, uh, running in the air. Like uh, imagine you fall and you you you, yeah, you run and <laughs> you're like what? Uh, yeah, it's, it's it like he's mocking sense. you, right? Yeah, he's mocking you like, uh, I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm coming, I'm coming. Well, I think there's an element of the story you. that there is an element of the story, I think, where he is holding back a lot of his actual power. Like, you can even see when he does like an air combo, he doesn't even use his arms, he just uses his feet, even if you're yeah. using punches or slashes. The, the, one of the things that is also interesting is that if you, if you follow the lore of Guilty Gear, he's actually the boss of Eddie, Milia, and Venom. So, is a big thing and he comes back in the in the story because uh basically zato one was killed by milia so now there's only eddie so the, um, the 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 shadow who is controlling the body the dead body of zato one so milia one that already killed zato one now need to kill eddie and venom who is um in love with zato want to don't want uh, Milia to uh, to destroy them. So there's a whole mess, and they're supposed to be, you know, uh, a guild of killers and uh, assassins and things like that. And so it's a mess, and nobody's doing its work correctly. So Slayer comes back in business just to say to 
all of, uh, of, of all of his employees basically like oh stop doing shit <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and it makes him like even more badass and uh, terrifying because if this guy is the boss of these three killers you're like whoa you should probably not you know uh, deal with him <laughs> yeah i i always thought that maybe he was based off of the boss coffee logo <laughs> <laughs> he, right. that's just the impression i got he's the boss that is, he's... That is hashtag confirmed man that's i can't i can't believe anything else anymore <laughs> oh and you know he he doesn't even use any weapons um i i think the only other character I like that i believe is um uh a jam you know she's she's a kung fu fighter uh but she's got like really flashy moves but um yeah he, he's just like this gentleman boxer and then he kind of moves like a like a russian dancer or something you know mm-hmm. like he also use you know impact uh, um, ground impacts and things like that. And there's this whole imagery of bats, like um, yeah. spirit, spirit bats coming out of him. And he also has a giant cross uh, crosses uh, all over his uh, his um, his clothes. So once again, you it's very you know uh, heavy metal or disrespectful you know attitude with the character. So that's super cool. That's really really super cool. <laughs> Oh, that's interesting. So he's a vampire, right? Yeah. But um, he wears a cross right on his chest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but at the time, uh, if you remember well, it was the time where the series Elting yeah. was very popular too, Ooh, and uh, yeah. and the series the series was you know um, uh, counterbalancing the idea of vampire because in Helsing, Haluka is uh, working for humans and for vampire hunters. It's he's a vampire who kills other vampires and beasts and ghouls and things like that. So uh, I think the, they they don't look a lot like each other, but they um, they share the similarity of uh, flipping the idea of the vampire uh, like Dimitri was. Like Dimitri has, you know, like Slayer doesn't have a, a cape, for example, and Alucard mm. didn't have a cape too. He had yeah. um, a trench coat, a red trench coat, and so. It's a new take on the vampire, but it was also uh, trendy, I suppose, at the time. <laughs> but they managed to make a, a, a really um, uh, a design that can still survive today, and that's a big thing. Yeah, uh, I also like the vampire aspect. I think he's he's one of those characters that he, when you beat him, he doesn't actually die. He just lays yeah. down. Lays <laughs> down. Yeah. 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 Like, can't like, him. Down. Like mm-hmm. you can't you can't get anything better than that. I mean, it's like you know I think I think Dudley would question his own dignity if he looked at this guy. <laughs> it's like it's like man, this guy loses and he just casually just lays down like, and he just looks as <laughs> dapper as he was standing up. And it's like you know even that small aspect, it's just like man, this this guy has a different type of class. It's almost like Guilty Gear wasn't even ready for for Slayer, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I, I do like the the idea of the story that uh, Thomas mentioned, where he like he started this assassins guild and then he comes back and he's probably meant to make all the other assassins look pretty bad by comparison. <laughs> well, he was making look making them look bad by comparison because he was so strong and he was eating so hard, like a counter it with Slayer, and uh, all your life was gone. So. That was very I was funny. just complaining about this last night with Exard. It's still true. He's still yeah. pretty broken from damage perspective. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, and he also had a strange mechanic, you know, and that's that's the thing I love about Guilty Gear is how the mechanics work with the character design and things like that. He can't run. You know, all characters in the game except Potemkin can run. But him, he has a step where he disappears and reappears uh, in front of you. Like uh, he, he maybe go forwards like two meters, you know. And w- yeah. what is what's super fun is that it's in character, but it, uh, it's also a gameplay thing. Because while you are doing this, you, can, you cannot cancel the dash by a move as opposed to all other characters so you are, you are you you are supposed to be vulnerable but it has invisibility frames when it does it so it's not that dangerous and what is makes him completely broken and super fun and in, it goes with his character is that you could cancel the dash with a jump and there was a bug but it's not really a bug where all the invisibility frames of the ba- of the dash would stay would uh, stay while you jump so basically, you were dashing, jumping, and eating someone, and you will go through them and eat them uh, yourself. So, you know, it's like, oh, it's so strong, and it breaks the rules like of yep. existence of the universe of the game <laughs> in <laughs> gameplay. He, he, he disrupts uh, the game, and I, I feel like there's a slight parallel with uh, him and Dudley uh, gameplay-wise, not just because of backswing, but... I feel like in Third Strike, uh, just because of the way that game is played, when you look at Dudley, it's like all of his good normals are like high or like mid, and a lot of good normals in Third Strike are low. So when you look at Dudley, it's like, nah, he's not good. He's just low forward in the death. He can't do anything. But once you understand how Dudley works, he kind of disrupts that whole idea. And I feel like Slayer, in his own way, kind of disrupts like the rules of Guilty Gear, where it's like when you see somebody pick Slayer, you're like, oh, I don't know what to expect. Because yeah. maybe they don't know his power and they're trying to figure it out or somebody's very well versed. And now you're going to get, you know, taken for a ride. And it's like the, the idea that that character exists in that, in that way within Guilty Gear is like really interesting. I'm probably going to start playing him again. <laughs> nice. I got to say, I love his walk forward. I think that's one of the best okay. walk forward animations oh, of any character. Like just confidently striding at you, just his hands open, like I, I don't, you know, he's just like, hey, come here, let me like, let me give you a hug or something, you know, like, like he just does not like a, care. He's like a cutscene, like when he walks forward, it's like you just feel like the camera's gonna just revolve around him, you know, yeah. like it, there's something about him that just when you see him, it's just cinematic presence, you know. And it's it's amazing that he stands out so much. Um, actually, uh, partially because he's not. Uh, quite as flamboyant initially as everyone else and yet his personality is much more flamboyant yeah it's a really good mix Mm -hmm. yeah it's a really uh specific type of a design approach as well it's a a very well thought out like calculated thing and and it works yeah let's let's talk about uh i know the last boss the queen (laughs) queen yes yeah. yeah. Well, I think I think Richmond, you you can talk about it. Like you you basically uh, made all the work for us in a Twitter thread a few weeks ago. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> because it's basically Shina Ringo in yeah. Guilty Gear. <laughs> yeah. They just straight up put like this amazing uh, rock icon into the game. <laughs> like um, 
in case people don't know, Sheena Ringo is a, a Japanese uh, rock star. Um, she's uh, she is incredible. She's 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 an incredible performer. Uh, she writes uh, her own songs. You know, plays her own music. Gr- amazing voice. Uh, just amazing presence. And um, she's got such a, a larger than life personality. And I, I feel like they really um, uh, captured that with this character. And uh, j- just so you know, like, um, so she, Sheena Ringo, I know the names sort of sound familiar. Um, I believe they have the same birthday. Uh, they look very, very similar. Yeah. Um, they even have the same uh, mole, same uh, beauty mark on the face. Um, uh, her her guitar uh, looks similar. Um, uh, both of them are known for, like, naming their, their guitars. Um, I don't know, you, uh, please, you guys tell me what, you know, your, your impressions of uh, I know. Well, it's my main character in the game, so. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> I, 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 played, yeah. uh, uh, I played Johnny, I, I played Sol, Johnny, and then I know. So uh, I really love this character. It's, she's very hard to play. It's one of the most hardest characters to play in the game because of things like her special dash, because she has a dash like uh, Morrigan in, uh, in the Vampire series, like she goes flying. Yeah. And, uh, and all her moves, it's like, it's a bit like Zappa, you know, when you go and play against her, you're like, what I am supposed to expect? That's, that's uh, a woman with a talking hat, uh, dressed in lead and red leather and uh, she has like incredible um, incredible abilities she can fly she can hit with her guitar she can produce sounds with her hat and things like that and you you can't there's no character like her in any other game and uh, that's super special that's really really super special so i don't know man i don't know what to say but uh, yeah, uh, the the um, the reference to Shinaringo is quite obvious actually because when uh, Shinaringo uh, in the early 2000s she often had this uh, square cut haircut, you know, and yeah. I I yeah. know as exactly the same, and I think I ca- I could not find this picture again years later, but I remember seeing a photo of Shinaringo with a red hat. And it was literally, Ooh. I know. I was like, okay, is that cosplay or is that Shinaringo or is that both? <laughs> you know. Yeah. So no, she's a, she's the main antagonist of the XX series, and she's the she's a woman uh, that can, I think she can travel through time, and uh, she hates so bad guy for whatever reason, and also she. Uh, she works for the main, 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 main antagonist and uh, elusive man of uh, of Guilty Gear, elusive antagonist, which is that man, the guy that yeah. uh, is supposed to have created all the the gears, like the the bastard uh, scenario. So she's uh, and she's and she's she's a bitch, to be honest. <laughs> she insults people all the time, all the time. She she even when you eat her, she says things like, "Oh, it feels good." She's sadist. She's a sadist <laughs> and also a masochist in some aspects. So she she's a perfect, you know, bastard character in this aspect, in this society. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know what to say more, but uh, I love this character. I really love it. And uh, she she also has something I like is that she's maybe it's the sprites and the artwork from Ishiwatari, but she's uh, kind of I don't know what to say, but 
rough, savage, savage a bit. Uh, yeah. And uh, even in visual terms, you know, she has, um, I don't know how to say it, she expresses violence in some aspects, in the way she moves and uh, her, her body type. She's really frail, you know, she, she has a, a thin body with uh, with a huge guitar and things like that. So it's it's all sort of mixed messages and uh, it's hard to to know what's going to happen when you play against her and you see her for the first time. Yeah, yeah a lot of um, her her movements are like they're they're hard to read, but they're also really beautiful to watch. So it's almost like you get enamored in like looking at her animate without staying in the game. So, so to speak, like, because I know that that was something that I noticed about her when I first saw her in game. I was like, wow, this is a really cool design. And then when I had to fight against someone who knew how to play her, uh, you know, just the way that her air dash worked, just the way that her movements are, it's like if you look at how her, her throw animates and you look at her idle animations, like she kind of smoothly transitions into them in a way that is different from a lot of other characters. So when you're looking at her, it's it's almost like looking at a performance. Uh, the other thing that's interesting about, you know, the fact that she's literally Ringo Sheena, uh, at least for me, the thing that I thought was interesting was that she is related to one of my favorite Japanese R&B uh, singers, who is uh, Junpei Sheena. Um, mm. And, you know, it was just funny because, you know, like, I listened to both of them. And, you know, the first thing I heard was like, wait, she's based off of Ringo Sheena? Oh, shit, that's, that's uh, Junpei's sister. And I was just like, oh, damn, that's awesome. And then, like, you know, I started looking at her. I was like, yeah, she really does look like Ringo. Um, but, again, like, for me, it was really just like a, a – for a long time, I had to really kind of get used to just looking at her because she looked so cool that I would forget about playing. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I, would, I would forget about, like, actually trying to read my opponent because I'm just like, damn, she just looks so cool. She has all these different ways to – like move around and the way that she actually navigates the space of guilty gear so you know i was enamored with the character but i definitely felt like i was like i probably can't learn her right now like she's a little too complicated for me <laughs> so i i kind of left her you know to 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 the experts that i saw uh you know at sbo and stuff but like yeah her design is incredible and you know she's one of those characters that again the thing about guilty gear is like everybody it's like everybody collectively makes a great unit as a kid like a a collective of characters but they all stand out and you know definitely fits that bill uh, i wanted to uh mention something you know, while we're talking about a design as to why they um something that's pretty interesting and i think uh you know just is the most obvious version of it is that um the color theory on the characters is really good she is a, she's a, a her guitar is a split complement to the red and um something that you'll you'll actually start noticing is almost every character only has two major colors that define their palette yeah um but I like I know the most because I was always really struck by her her teal guitar against her red, um, and it's one of those things where when you first learn color theory, they teach you a lot about like the very high level ones, and you almost never actually see them in application. Uh, like when you have to like do the class, and they're like, oh yeah, do a split complement, do a, you know, do do this thing, and you're like, oh, I'm never gonna use this this way, and I, I feel like uh, you actually see it with almost every character but hers is the most striking example of why the why those color combinations work so well together um this is something that i, I always really really enjoy i always can't like stop staring at the, the guitar uh in terms of how it plays against her so super cool 
it, it creates a very strong focal emphasis though so i mean like it's yeah it's it's almost like a it's specifically designed to draw you in uh and it's it's really just pleasant to look at i mean it's a beautifully designed guitar on top of it too so it's like you know what what better focal emphasis that just kind of causes you to swallow the depth of the character I think the uh, the difference with it is, uh, like I said, all, almost all the characters have two colors, but a lot of them use, like, regular complements, like, you know, blue and red, or they use, like, an orange or blue or something. And this is one, like, split complements tend to make the colors look more radiant next to each other. Like, it's, mm. it's not perfect, but, like, I think, to your point, that's exactly what they were going for, is they wanted it to be more striking than other characters. Mm. And it's striking, but at the same time, you know, it's not a, a bright red it's like much more, um, I don't know in English how to say it, but uh, a wine red. I don't yeah. know. Uh, you, yeah. you know, it's it's not like the, the your, your red that you, like, look at me. You know, it's more, uh, it it goes a bit, and I was going to, to go this way, sorry about it, but uh, I know he's also a very sexualized character, but it's uh, she's almost a proto-Bayonetta character, you know. She... Um, she um she mistreats people and things like that but she also uh as in idol animations or things like that um uh how to say it in her idols animation or things like that she does suggestive things <laughs> i would say <laughs> and uh, there's also you know this this wind pose where she basically uh, takes off her jacket and it she only wears a jacket, so <laughs> she's basically uh, topless uh, when she yeah, wins the no round. Undershirt. No, no undershirt, and uh, there's also uh, there's all kind of positions like that. But she's not as objectified, you know, as uh, she could have been actually. Where the way she moves, uh, she she breasts violence and uh, she's twisted yeah. and things like that. But she doesn't, and she, and she's sexy and things like that. But she doesn't take a pose that says uh that says okay just look at me i'm doing sexy things she does it because she sometimes she does it because she she thinks it's fun or thing but it's really subtle there's subtlety in this character despite the the red and the the guitar the shinaringo the things like that when you watch the character moves you you understand that it's not just a crazy uh, crazy ass uh, woman uh uh, with the sexual metaphors and things like that. So she's really an interesting character, especially when you consider that she came out in 2002 and even 2001, I think, because you have artworks of I know around Guilty Gear X too. So, yeah. Yeah, that, that was a good point that you brought up earlier, that she's really the first like really sexy uh, female character in the series. And it, you know, she didn't appear until the, the third game. They went three games without really having an mm. overtly sexy character. And even then, um, you know, like she has a lot of, um, I think a word that a lot of people might use today is like agency. Like uh, this is for her amusement, not yeah. not for the viewer. Maybe, you know, if you identify with her as a player, then it is for your amusement. Like um, she feels powerful, uh, you know, she's powerful mm -hmm. and just really cool. It's just a cool character. And, and, uh, and I, the, the artworks Ishiwatari made also of her are oh, yeah. almost often frightening. Like one of the artworks that was well, that uh, helped popularize the character is that she, um, it's a portrait of her and she has the, the words, the Midnight Carnival 
uh, engraved in her skin. You know, Midnight Carnival being the subtitle of Guilty Gear XX. And uh, she has a she's a, has a strange pose, like she shows her arm with the scarification on it. And she's also biting her own hand at the same time while looking at you. And you look at this, you're like, whoa, that's... Um, that's strange, you know. <laughs> that's, yeah. Uh, that's, yeah, she has that, a lot of striking imagery with her. Because um, I, I remember the image that you're talking about, and I remember the first time that I saw that image, I, I was just like, wow, like this, this character's gonna be in in Guilty Gear. Oh, oh man, like all of the the work that Ishiwatari did for this character, it it conveys a very specific message. Like she stands out a lot, um, and, I, and I feel that uh, there's like a, a sensual confidence with her that the package of Eno uh, really just embodies. Like when you see her, it's just like, none of this is about you. None of this is for you. I'm, I'm here because I want to be here and I'm this way because I want to be. Um, and that's a, mm-hmm. it's a really uh, interesting narrative for, for a character within the other female representation in the game. I, I just want to say um, her sprite itself, I feel like, she got extra love put into that sprite. Um, uh, maybe, maybe part of it was that. I'm sorry. It's like it's like the Elena of uh, of Guilty Gear. Uh, yeah. In terms of yeah. movement. Yeah. I I was actually gonna say the the Makoto. Um, I, I that that's like my all time favorite sprite, and I <laughs> I just feel like when when you see her in in Guilty Gear, like um, her moves are great. Like I I feel like she just has more love put into her animation they all do but there's like something extra there like uh it even seems like maybe there's even more frames of animation like she's just a little bit smoother a little bit more impact and um on top of that she's just more detailed like they they went uh, crazier with the uh, sprite art on her like uh, there's there's just more like shading and highlights and like things to accentuate the volumes of the character i feel like she got like an extra pass <laughs> that like no one else got well, she's the boss of the game, so yeah. that yeah. that may explain this. Yeah, and that's it for XX, I suppose, for the characters actually. The other characters will just to finish for I know I'm just looking at I know pictures while we are speaking, and what strikes me too is that despite being a, a sexy character, we I talked before about body types in Guilty Gear before, and um, w- looking at fan art and things like that today i know looks like a bimbo like with huge breasts <laughs> huge hips and things like that but ishiwatari didn't draw created her this way she's actually very uh normal she has like a, a, a normal body type she's yeah. just the, the clothes are so special that's again something i liked about this period of guilty gear is the 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 this idea of creating something that fits in the in the players uh, in the characters agency like you said and uh, and not going for you know bait design uh, like other series were were doing at the time yeah well <laughs> yeah I, I just want to um, build on top of that a little I, I think that's a really good point with um, she does have a fairly uh, uh, realistic body type. I mean, like, you, you know, you, you take a walk outside, you'll you'll meet women with the similar build. 
And I, I think that actually serves the design a lot better because um, if, if she was, if her body type was also exaggerated on top of everything else, um, yeah. it would be too much. Um, and yet, uh, you know, because she has a fairly normal body, um, especially next to some of these characters who are like absolute hulks or just not even human, <laughs> um, uh, I don't know, somehow it makes her seem tougher. It's, it's, it's the texture of it. It's just right. It just works. Yeah. yeah, but it's a it's a common art direction that you can find in uh, in this period of Guilty Gear is that even muscular uh, characters like Sol are actually pretty tall and thin, you know, and uh, you you see that Sol is a, is a muscular beast and things like that, even Potemkin, but they they remain they remain there's a kind of um, they don't look as large as you can think. And uh, the, when you compare, for example, Sol in XX and Sol and Xrd, it's like he, he looks, it, it looks like he, he took proteins in, oh, of course, uh, yeah. from one yeah. game to the other. They, they, yeah. look, they look all like normal people, just some of them are muscular, some of them are not, things like that, but most of them have normal body types. So yeah, that's a common theme you can find in the series too. And uh, yeah. another thing with I know a lot of art depicts I know with uh, hands, you know, giant hands and pierced hands and things like that. That uh, she to to suggest that she's in controls and, and things like that. It's, it's very 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 strange, strange character. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, one more thing I just remembered. Uh, her hat I think is uh, maybe a, a reference to uh, the Go Nagai comic uh, Demon Prince Adma about uh, oh. yeah the. Um, the demon prince, uh, very very feminine looking character, but he's got a he's got a hat, got a talking hat. Yeah, that's probably this. <laughs> Visually uh, very similar. Yeah. All right, let's. Um, okay, I think we've we've talked a lot about um, XX Guilty Gear X2. I I thought we were going to cover uh, a lot of games, but once again, we've proven our ability to dig pretty deep into just one game for several hours. Um, this is true. I think uh, let's uh, wrap this one up and then, um, yeah, I'd just love to get closing comments from everyone. Uh, just your thoughts on on uh, X2 and just what it means to the series or what it means to you. Uh, I think I think for me, you know, X2 was just a further cementing of, you know, something that was already uh, confident and pronounced within the fighting game scene in a time when the fighting game scene was pretty dry. Uh, there wasn't there wasn't a lot of new content. Uh, people were just like playing existing games, uh, and with X2, uh, it, it felt like you know they they took it and they said, okay, well, how do we continue to make this better, and how do we create the catalyst for like a legacy, even more so than what Guilty Gear already was at the time? Um, because for me, X2 was oh, Guilty Gear is here to stay. This isn't like a, a niche kind of one-hit thing that's going to be just something that's kind of played in obscurity. Like This is going to be something that has a global scene that you know pushes the game forward. And that's, that's literally what happened. Um, and I mean, even I, for a very small part, portion of time, you know, dug in deep with Guilty Gear and actually had a lot of fun with it. And, um, you know, I have a lot of fond memories of, uh, of playing X2 with people and, 
you know, just fostering friendships that, you know, to this day I still have. Yeah, that's great. That's, I mean, that's, that's, that's what it's about connecting with people over, uh, over these games. Well, to me is the guilty gear access the series, I would say, because we didn't, we, we didn't talk about slash and accent curl, but there's, well, we talked about it a bit, but it's not, it's, it's special. It's very, it's a very special game to be honest, because it's, um, I think it's the last, to me, at least, it's the last, um, even in 2010, I was looking back at this, at these games and I was thinking, okay, in the current trend of anime fighters, what we call air dashers, anime fighters, it's still unique, actually. And I don't enjoy that much what, where they went with Xrd and uh, Next, but to me, it feels like uh, a game from the period I discovered anime and manga and things like that. That's something that reminds me of works like um, like uh, the works, for example, of uh, Watanabe, the creator of Cowboy Bebop or Samurai Champloo, where, where Japanese creators, art directors, uh, creative directors, were making games using inspiration from everywhere and mixing them yeah. and creating something unique instead of focusing on things that people already liked and doing another take of something people already have, you know. And to me, the the, the, the XX series, the, the Guilty Gear series, and particularly the XX series, is really about it, about that. It's really about, okay, I have different influences. I'm going to mix them, and through Mastercraft, <laughs> I'm going to make a huge game, a very huge game. So... To me, it's uh, it's very 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 important. Not just because I met ton of friends and I discovered the fighting game community with it, and uh, and um, I also discovered a lot of artists and things like that through Guilty Gear. Uh, but because it's it's to me the last game that survived for a long time this uh, this trend of uh, doing anime games for anime fans and otaku uh, the otaku crowd instead of going for uh, fresh ideas and uh, and a broader audience even if you don't think your game will achieve broader audience you 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 keep searching for novelty you know so that's for me john any uh, <laughs> any thoughts uh yeah like it's, uh for me x x x or x2 i i knew it as x2 because i got it mostly in america for me this is uh to me like the core kind of quintessential guilty gear that I played the most out of out of all of them. Uh, like I mentioned, I really uh, like a lot, like how polished it is. I like a lot about this game's feel. Like the the other games are Guilty Gear X and Guilty Gear are excellent games, but this is the one where it started to really feel uh, excellent to me all the time. Like I really enjoyed. It, it almost feels like they, they've matured quite a bit, like very visibly. And I like uh, like a lot of the things that I love about the Guilty Gear series that have made their way into the newer ones. Are, I think ultimately started with this one. Uh, one one thing that we didn't really talk about, but I actually, uh, one of my favorite parts of the overall Guilty Gear story is uh, like the uh, jellyfish pirates. And this is the first uh, one where the, where you they start kind of focusing on Dizzy getting uh, involved with the pirates and uh, diving more into like May and Johnny and how they work together. And I, I don't know, I always really enjoyed all that stuff. I think um, Dizzy even has like a, a jellyfish pirates uh, skin or color combination or costume in this game. Um, yeah. and, uh, that was one of the things where 
Dizzy uh, felt like an add-on character in the previous games. Like they didn't they didn't have as much of a story mode as they did in this game. I think this is the first one where they really start uh, getting more interested in telling you the story rather than it being like a really detailed backdrop. Um, and that was something that uh, I really enjoyed. As I mentioned in previous podcasts, I'm very much a narrative style of player. I, I enjoy the this the story or the the narrative behind things. So that was something that uh, this game I think started to really nail. Like where I didn't need to have a full like campaign thing, but there was a lot of interplay between the characters that I liked. Uh, they were starting to change a lot of things and help you learn about them. And then the the lore was starting to connect a little bit better um, for me. So I was I was really starting to enjoy that and like kind of get into like I said I mentioned previously Slayer is one of my favorite characters that was added in this game and uh, just just kind of a, 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 this is to me the one of the quintessential casts like when I play new Guilty Gear games I kind of look for the cast that was in this game yeah uh, I agree so so yeah I just uh, I have very uh, just like kind of what James said I have very positive memories what this is this is one of the games where I think we I played the most amount of this game when we were doing fighting game club stuff uh, in college so uh, this is the game where I, where I my aforementioned uh, memories of uh, Jason Lee beating me down with May this is the version of May where he was the, <laughs> most, the strongest with um, so like I said this this one is, is like if you say guilty year this is the one that comes to my mind immediately so uh i i think it's like a it's a really great game to i think you can get uh, accent core on uh i think we were talking about on switch and everything like that and i think it's totally worth it to to still pick it up it's a really fantastic game that i think has aged really really well especially in comparison to its previous uh, predecessors yeah, yeah definitely if you uh if you have a switch like buy that collection um mm. i think it's on steam as well it's uh, on steam yeah yeah, like it's it's an incredible collection to have just to be able to kind of go down the memory lane of you know how far Guilty Gear Guilty Gear has come. Uh, I, I I highly recommend it. I mean I'm probably gonna buy it on Steam myself. I don't even use my Steam account that much, but it's gonna probably <laughs> be, uh, use my Steam account just because it's such a beautiful collection of games. And what is surprising is oh the the game aged very well. Visually, it the the sprites on an HD screen are still very beautiful. It's a series that started with CRTs, and that still that can still be beautiful on LCD without scanlines and things like that. So that's quite something when you think about it, because most of the ga- of the 2D games, when you when you extend them today to a large screen, that's that's pixel mud, you know. <laughs> but not this game. This game is beautiful. Um, yeah, I just want to say, uh, just just chatting with with you guys, something that occurred to me was, um, yeah, obviously part of the appeal for me uh, talking about these games is the nostalgia, just having played them in the past. But I, I think it's much more than that. Um, like like you said, uh, the games that that stand out, like they they have a lot of timeless qualities. So you you can a new totally new player with no memories uh, could go into these games and um, still find the fun and the beauty. You know the graphics stand up. The characters are awesome. Um, they're they're pretty timeless. Uh, the gameplay is great. Um, but then, especially during this conversation, this podcast, it also occurred to me um, the games are also very useful, uh, interesting. As uh, if if you're interested in the history, the development of games, um, they have a lot of value just for being so representative of the exact moment in time that they were uh, created. Like this game wouldn't have come together any other time. And um, 
you know, just the, uh, for, for instance, we talked about the aesthetic of the game, how, um, you know, nowadays, like Guilty Gear set the template for anime fighters, for 2D ones. And uh, it has gone into a very uh, much more um, kind of otaku kind of direction. But um, the first couple of them were uh, really like anyone could get into them. You, you didn't have to be like an anime fan. And if you were, you, there's a lot there to appreciate and dig even deeper into. But uh, they still had that that broad appeal. And I, I don't mean broad appeal in like a researched market demog you know hone in on this mm. demographic way i just mean like a basic appeal like that's just cool like anyone can look at this and be like man that's really cool um and then on top of that um 2002 like this was targeting a very sophisticated audience so like uh, the the intricacies of the gameplay are like insane <laughs> i think um uh, uh since then um especially in the last 10 years or so i think fighting games have gotten uh, simpler uh, you know, because uh, they want to reach a broad audience again. Yeah. And um, part part of the fun of going back to these uh, fighting games from the aughts, especially, like they're they're really technical. Um, they're very, very technically fascinating. And I, I loved hearing, um, I'm, I'm not a very high level player, but I love hearing uh, people who do play the game at a much more sophisticated level talking about not just how to win, but how to express yourself. You know, I think that is really cool. Like when... You're not just playing to to you know optimize like a machine. You're playing to express your human spirit, <laughs> to express yeah. your personality. And, yeah. Uh, that's, yeah, I think that's, that's beautiful. Yeah, like that's that's one of the most beautiful things about uh, fighting games. And I mean, I know I've said it before, but Guilty Gear really does allow you to express yourself a lot. Um, you know regardless of what your play style is, regardless of the type of person you are, you know, the moment that you feel a sense of control with your character, you know, you, you, you feel like you can say the things that you want to say. Uh, and I know that sounds, it might sound a bit weird to people, but like that is a very specific thing when it comes to playing fighting games. And it's one of the things that's kept me hitting buttons for as long as I have. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Okay, I think this uh, that's a really good uh, place to wrap up. Um, all right, thanks thanks to everyone who's uh, listening. Thank you for uh, following our our little podcast here. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you, Sean, for um, you know always being there and uh, putting this podcast together every time. And uh, James, it's a, a, a been a pleasure having you um, you know as a guest. And uh, Thomas, thank you for uh, taking time to uh, join us today. I uh, had had a lot of fun. Um, maybe do you think maybe we can uh, you'll join us again for for another? It's up more to talk? you if you can if you can support myself talking too much. That's oh, up no, no, to no. you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's a pleasure. Whatever. We're yeah. all about the talking here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just just hearing you say things brought back a lot of you know fond memories. Uh, Combo movies. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm a like, you know, Richmond and Sean know me pretty well, but I was like, you know, really big on like the fighting game scene at that time, and you know, I wore that on my chest just as much as I, you know, my passion for art, and um, you know, when it came to combos and like very technical things, like, you know, that's something that really grasped my attention. You know, I was one of those people that could sit and talk to somebody about how 
John Choi or Yoshio plays like completely different Kens, and I could talk about that for like hours. So someone else who kind of has that understanding about like this specific time in, in the fighting game scene, like it's been a pleasure to speak with, man. Like you brought back a lot of fond memories and stuff that I hadn't thought about in years. Um, you know, so I, I, I appreciate the fact that, you know, you're a part of this as well. Because uh, you're, you know, you're you're extremely knowledgeable, and like I said, it kind of like sparked things back in my head. Like, wait, like I do remember that. Yeah, like there was a time where people were passing around zip files of comic, <laughs> like, yeah, like like yeah. the dark times of the internet, where like stuff was just so infantile, and like you had to kind of do things in a specific way. That it's like pre-streaming era, and I didn't even think about that. But yeah, like things were not as accessible. Um, you know, and, and there was a different way that people approach things because of that. And it affected how we digested games. So, mm-hmm. like, you know, just, yeah, man, it's a pleasure to to, to speak with you about this stuff, man. I, I, I honestly hope that uh, I can keep contact with you on, like, Twitter and stuff because you you <laughs> you represent a, an era that is almost forgotten. Like, well, you know, thank you. <laughs> a lot of, yeah, a lot of people don't talk about it anymore. Yeah, what's funny is that uh, I did a stream uh, about Guilty Gear, the old Guilty Gear when uh, Strive had a beta, and uh, I said, "Yeah, let's play the old and old." And there was a lot of excerpt players, so the the people that started playing Guilty Gear around 2014-15 that came to the stream, and I started playing them combo movies and explaining them how the characters worked at that time, and they were like, "Wow!" Yeah, <laughs> and I felt like an old man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, we we tend to when that that happens, and it's it's kind of you know like sometimes even for me like I forget that like people's first Street Fighter game that are considered OG or like old school now is four, and I'm like no. what? Like no. that's so no. like like really? But that's but that's what the time is now, and you know I'll explain to them stuff like I'll talk about like the boss Ganaging combo or. You know, I'll tell them about like Kokujin or Fujiwara, and they're just like, "Wow!" Like, you know, it sounds like people really like took passion in like how they played. You know, even though there was no money involved, and I was like, "Yeah!" Like, people played fighting games because they loved them. Not saying that people that are sponsored don't, uh, but esports wasn't a thing. Like, you know, people played these games because they just enjoyed them, and they enjoyed the camaraderie that it brought, and like the the technical mastery that. Uh, a lot of the games embodied so you know like you know you feel like an old man it's like yeah back in my day but it's (laughs) you know it's like you're just telling them hey man this is it was different when I was standing up in an arcade uh you know some kids don't even know what that feels like you know because they don't exist as much anymore um I I just want to point out real quick um just to to give listeners context especially if you're a little bit younger than us um the time between Street Fighter 4 and 5 was actually, if you can believe it, eight years. That's like yeah. the time between Street Fighter 2 and and 3, which, which was like a huge jump. So so when, when we wax poetic about the, the early days of fighting games, like there was just so much excitement, like year on year, like so many huge changes. You know, back then, like like in three years, the, the whole scene would feel so different, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You would have people that were, you know, spacing and zoning like masters of attrition and that's what they knew Street Fighter to be. And then Street Fighter Alpha came out 
and you had people that were like, well, I can do chain combos into supers and I can take 50 to 60% damage. And you've got the people that are from like the Street Fighter 2 era, like that's not Street Fighter. But now Alpha 1 at that time was the definition of Street Fighter. And then Alpha 2 came, you know, there's there's always going to be ships. And it was an exciting time. I mean, despite the divisiveness that kind of happened because of it, it was an exciting time to play games because there was always something new. And there was always the whole point of finding a game that fits what you want to do. Um, because there were so many to play. There's so many of them. Yeah. You know? All right. <laughs> let's uh, let's let's do this again soon. Maybe uh, hopefully next weekend. Uh, we can, oh, that's um, fine. Yeah. Yeah, is everyone free? Oh, I'm yeah. free, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Let's uh, let's talk about the uh, the the rest of the Guilty Gear X games. Maybe maybe we might be able to talk about more than one game. <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not gonna not gonna count it. I mean, it's tough because there's like with the X2, like there's so many, and it's like you know some were well, more well received than others. I think and. Like, and then there was, like, Isuka, like, you know, which, yeah. no much about it. Like, I saw it, and I was like, that's neat, but I don't I don't know enough about it. Like, I didn't have access to it. So, um, but there's a lot to cover within the X2 uh, series. So, I mean, hopefully we can, you know, get through it. I mean, Thomas is pretty, pretty knowledgeable about the entirety of it. So, I mean, there's certain things yeah. I know from them, but I know that he can you know, add a lot more to it as well. well. So to be honest, I think for the next episode, we can, we could actually start with Exod and explain why Exod took so long to come out. <laughs> and, and there's a lot to say about um, uh, 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 the relationship between uh, Sami and Arc System Works and the other games that they did at the time and the impact they had. And it's a great introduction to Exod and why it took so much time because yeah, and unless yeah. you want to talk about guilty gear petit and on wonders one and, <laughs> and guilty gear advance on game boy advance or uh, even uh, guilty gear de ouverture <laughs> which yeah. exists oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. so there's a lot to say about games between but maybe uh, that may not be the most interesting thing but art style uh, art directive art direction style there's a lot of things to say about uh guilty gear overture but uh well we'll see <laughs> there's so much to say <laughs> okay well uh thank you everyone for listening um yeah this is our 13th podcast uh still having lots of fun really appreciate uh, everyone tuning in uh i hope everyone's been able to stay safe um you know really really crazy times that we're in uh very unprecedented within my my memory of uh, my whole life um but you know thankfully we at least have uh, video games <laughs> to uh, help us through this and uh you know hope everyone's been able to stay safe um uh, if you if you're new to the podcast, uh, uh, you, you can follow along for updates on Twitter at um, Art Eater Podcast. Uh, you can follow me at uh, Rit, uh, Richmond Lee Richmond underscore Lee. That's my my Twitter handle. That's the main Art Eater. Um, and then uh, Sean, you're you're at uh, Daborsk, right? Yep. Uh, that's D A B O R S K, right? Yeah, and then um, you can follow James uh, and uh, see all his cool art that he posts at uh, Beefy Konoichi. And uh, please 
follow uh, Thomas at um, Thomasaurus at Thomasaurus. Yes. Yeah. 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 I just followed you, man. Like, oh, okay. Thanks. <laughs> I want to in contact be, with you. Be, be careful. I often tweet in French. <laughs> so, I mean, there's always an opportunity to learn. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Actually, James, uh, you're quite good at uh, picking up different languages. I, I know yeah. You, you, uh, yeah. Like, because I. You're conversant in quite a few languages. Yeah. Japanese and uh, Korean. So, uh, I mean, I know a little bit of Spanish too, but like, yeah, Japanese and Korean, I have oddly picked up to a point that people have questioned whether I'm actually, uh, was born here. So <laughs> it's, 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 it's interesting to say the least. I, I have a knack for, for picking up different languages. So you never know. I, I might be adding French to the list because of you. It'll be entirely your fault. Okay. Tune in, tune, tune in next week. And uh, have have a good one, folks. Yeah, take care, guys. Bye.